All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. in my office and I heard a rock. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? What up, everyone? DJ Anubis. And DJ Neko. Here with you on the Metal Time Radio Podcast, Hordes of Chaos, episode 152. 152? 152. So we've been doing this for 152 weeks? Uh, Ish. Well, I think there was like between three and five podcasts that I started with that were older episodes I did myself. But I was kind of just trying to kick off the podcast page, you know, and get some stuff out there. But I'd say legit-wise, when it comes to you and I, it's probably more around 145 at least, or 148, somewhere in there that we have, like, you know, our own. Yeah, I mean, like, this is close to three years' worth of podcasts, if mm-hmm. you think about it. That's kind of wild. And I know, like, with my traveling and stuff, there are times when I'm not guest hosting with DJ Anubis. And you guys are going to get that pretty soon. Pretty soon, DJ Anubis will be all by himself. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm going to be floating out on the sea, leaving around the middle of February, and I'll be back end of April, early May. Um, but what DJ Anubis does for me for his podcast, and um, there's a couple of others that I listen to pretty regularly, I always give him my login information and he'll download it and then email it to me so that I can still listen because it's really hard sometimes um sometimes while I'm out there we uh are because it takes up a lot of bandwidth there's Mm -hmm. a lot of websites that are um banned not because of like pornographic material or anything it's just oh, i'm sure porn is banned. i'm sure porn is too but it also but they've all figured ways around those things uh, they, external drives yeah external hard drives with plenty of porn one of the this i did ever tell you this when i was on the resolute that in one of the drawers there were nudie magazines i'm like i'll just leave these here for the next person <laughs> <laughs> but anything that has a lot of bandwidth 
they generally will not allow you to go to the website because we're operating on uh, like satellite internet. The, the good thing though where I'm gonna be in the world is like down near the Maldives which is um, right on the equator and a lot of our satellites in the world are situated closer to the equator um, when I'm very far north like that one time you didn't hear from me for like three days and you started like tracking the the fucking ship on ship tracker when you're north it's harder to get satellite signal than it is when you're closer to the equator so I should have fairly decent signal and we're going to be doing a lot of shore landings which means I'll be kind of close to land and I might have cell phone signal and if I do I definitely will you know try to call DJ Anubis and maybe uh bounce in and we did that one time um, when I was in Taiwan. I actually called on the satellite phone, remember? And we did like a little mini, um, I just did like a little pop-in for the... Mm -hmm. And the satellite phone itself is kind of like talking on a walkie-talkie because it's uh, like delayed. Well, it's little, yeah, it's a little tricky. So you have to, when I'm talking to you, I have to like, you know, you have to pause and do whatever you say, and then I have to like say mine and wait. Mm -hmm. It's like it's like a walkie-talkie. It's kind of like you have to be like over, and then let the other person talk, and then go over. Ten four. But we we had, I mean, there's lots of ways that we keep in touch, and in the grand scheme of things, two and a half months isn't that long. It's well worth the uh, extra money I make by traveling. I mean, it's it's incredible that the places I've been able to go. Right now with COVID, though, I really am sad because the Maldives is kind of a really cool place. And they're trying not to have us travel and explore because, you know, COVID. Everybody's getting sick. And we have literally have a ship right now where, like, half the ship has COVID. And some people are sick and some people are not. And there's nobody who's, like, dangerously sick, but they're, like they've shut down operations like everybody has been asked to stay in their cabin and just try not to tr avoid each other but i am very excited to be getting back to my life at sea i um been the last week i've been training on a type of cable that is brand new it hasn't even been made into mass production and i'll be working on one that is even more brand new and i am I'm honored and blessed to be chosen as the person who got to work on it. Like, it's pretty wild, and I'm really excited that, you know, my managers have seen my growth. And you gotta realize, I haven't been, you know, I took a hiatus, and I haven't been in the game in a long time. So for them to kind of put that, that trust in me, two thumbs up thank you to my managers and my co-workers and friends i know none of you listen to this but mad love to you <laughs> well we're gonna get into a little bit more somber i know, news. I know. that's a bad uh, bad start off no i uh, just you know we have to pass it along because that's what we do uh meatloaf former rock and uh rock and roller and uh, uh actor passed away recently at 74 I didn't do a total dive into what happened, but apparently it was COVID-related. Oh, was it? Yeah. That sucks. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was a guy who, you know, of course, had the 77 on Bat Out of Hell, and then, of course, the 93 hit I Would Do Anything in Love. That's actually, I 
think it got kind of parody in one of the Eminem commercials at one point. Uh, and then he also was in movies like Fight Club, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and he's been guest appearances on TV over mm-hmm. the years. And uh, so a lot of people were giving out tributes on on social media and you know and all that because he was a really nice guy and whatnot. So uh, it's unfortunate to say goodbye to him. He was Eddie in Rocky Horror. He he came in and he sang and he was on a motorcycle and then he got shot. So. That's kind of how that went. Also in Wayne's World. Oh, that's right! Tenacious D. Uh, yeah, he's been in a lot of different things, and, uh, you know, it's sad to see, but gotta take that COVID stuff seriously, man. I mean, he. Uh, they, there's nothing that says he was vaccinated or not, but a lot of Chances people. Chances probably was. I, I, I think just what, what happens as you get older and. Um, if you have any kind of pre-existing condition, and they're also saying people like me who are fat really gotta kind of, you know, reel it in because apparently COVID lives in your fat cells. So I am really working on it. I you've seen me like every day on my bike. I have put I put on some pounds over the holidays. I had put on pounds before that, and I've been having you know just you know weight sucks right. And you and I have been really tracking our calories, and we've gotten back into our racquetball groove. Um, I the other day, I looked. You know how you put in um, the the tracker, and it says like you know you play racquetball for an hour and all. It was like I had even after eating all day and then playing racquetball, I still had all these extra calories left over, but I didn't eat. And I'm like, dude, if I played racquetball every day, I'm like. Yeah, well, that's the thing that I hadn't been doing previously was even when I was working, I, you know, like this week was the week, first week that I actually put in my steps because uh, I work the three days I work. And I mean, I, I just I move around a lot, like even though I'm driving, you know, you're you're stopping, like stop and go, stop and go. And you're like, in especially and out of the truck. Tuesday was like massively busy. So like I was on a run all day to try to get shit off and get my work done. So. You know, I lost, I won't say lost, but I, as far as, like, the calorie counter, like, I was able to burn at least 300 on the days that I was walking. And then racquetball is actually high in terms of, like, exercise. So even though Neko and I aren't, like, master professionals, like, we're not, like, dripping, you know, dripping sweat while we're running. We, we kind of are, but, like... Not we, like some people. But we put in there, like, racquetball, casual, and then there is a website where you can put in your weight mm. and your age and put, like, uh, I'm playing racquetball for one hour, and it's like, well, you've burned 500 calories. I'm like, dude, this... That's why we tr- really try to squeeze it in, because we love playing, and we, like... We have a little, um... USB boombox, and then we play music, and we giggle, and, and we give no fucks. Yeah, we just and we make all this noise, and we wonder <laughs> if people can hear us going fuck. Yeah. And it's, we do a lot of come on, man, because like come on, man, like I'll reach for something, and because I'm short and my arms are short and I'm just out of reach, I'm like, oh come on, man. Yeah, she's a. We we kind of discussed this on our recent video, which you'll probably see before this is even posted, but. You know, she's an angry player. <laughs> Shit starts going south and she's had enough. She's like, 
And if you're in the way, fuck it, you're dead, dude. You're just dead. Well, on our recent YouTube, we were showing like pictures of me modeling all my new t-shirts and stuff. There's one where I'm wearing a tank top, and I, and he made a comment that I looked like I was about to like kick some ass or be a wrestler, but I was like looking at my arms. I'm like, shit. Oh, this racquetball is giving me some like big biceps. I don't know if I like that or not. It's a little bulky looking. Neko Momoa. <laughs> All right. But we, uh, I'm really happy. Like that's I, I, I love racquetball. Like I love watching it. I love learning about it. I love just playing. It's it's something that we can do together. That honestly. I think has it was kind of a healing thing for me because I had a really bad year last year and then I was really stressed out at, at my you know hiatus job and then I quit and we started and I was like preparing to start going back to my current my you know my job I have now and my old job that I had before it was like so we would I wasn't working and he works like really odd hours so we had times where it was like a Wednesday at 11 and we're like let's go play and it felt like very almost like cleansing but i have some interesting news that i wanted to share with you um in maryland a man was found dead in his home in a house containing more than 100 snakes some of the breeds animal control officers encountered included pythons rattlesnakes cobras and black mambas that means he was a collector so a lot of these are illegal number yeah. one to buy mm -hmm. but they haven't even really like released his cause of death and like the the joke and i hate calling it a joke but like you know people are speculating that one of the snakes escaped and bit him and killed him and then snuck back into its enclosure Oh, wow, that is probably a little far-fetched. I mean, I thought they were a lo loose in the house. No, he, he's a collector. Like, but, you know how you have your trenches. But there might be one that did get out and still is probably on the run. Oh, my God. And then all... Because it's a, it's a very nice neighborhood. Like, you look at well, the pictures... Well, he probably has money. Dude, those things can't be cheap. I mean, it's a nice, you look, know, split level. I, I ain't gonna lie. Like, the spiders I've got, you know, they're not expensive expensive, but oh, some but of the, them... The tiniest one was the most expensive one. But they're, like, even the white knee that I want to get is around the same price as the pink toe, and those are at least 40 or 50 bucks. So, but there's spiders out there that are, like, if they're because of the rarity, they're, like, 250 bucks. Mm -hmm. If I ever want to get the Venezuelan sun tire, which I'm going to make sure I'm a seasoned professional with Is it. that one that, um, is a little bit harder to keep? Uh... The sun tiger? Probably not as hard to keep so much, but they are defensive and they pack some venom, so you have to be very careful. They have venom? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but they're so beautiful. They are very beautiful. I, I... But again, you just have to know what the fuck you're doing. You can't be goofing off and can't handle them. <laughs> you, know, you know me. Like, I, I want to... Every time I look at Freya, because she's so calm and so beautiful. Oh, people... I see videos all the time. People handling... I just want to hold her. And she's so gentle, but she's quick and, like, she likes to jump. So. I, I, I know. She likes to jump. Mm, <laughs> I heard that. I heard that she likes to jump mm. from my husband. Anywho... <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into our first block of music here some classic stuff from dead orchestra as well as cryonic here's some new stuff though from exhaustion this is called entrenched skies <laughs> 
Let's go!
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. Right, we're back. We're back. We're back like Sam Rockwell. I don't know what that meant. I don't either. Where the fuck was I going with that question? I don't know. I don't know, dude. Anywho, uh, that was cryonic. Uh, the language once were. Uh huh. Good stuff. Oh God, we're gonna talk about our tear maker. This one's hard. And I do apologize to people when I did the '80s one. I didn't post the. The, the photos, picture. yeah, I don't really do that, and I did that. I didn't do that. So, come next podcast, I'll go ahead and update those for people who wanted to see where we ranked them on there because we don't do visuals for people except through the pictures that we save. So, I do apologize for that. But uh, this time around, we did action movies of the '90s, and boy, was it a lot of them! <laughs> like I did not expect to have that many in the '90s compared to the '80s, but it. it became a lot so i'm gonna break down the list right now of the movies that we selected from and they are die hard 2 hard to kill i come in peace lionheart mark for death predator 2 total recall double impact out for justice point break showdown in little tokyo the last boy scout the perfect weapon which Century will be doing a show soon. We're doing that one and another one, another movie they're doing a versus there. Uh, Hard Boiled, Passenger 57, Rapid Fire, Under Siege, uh, Universal Soldier, Demolition Man, Hard Target, Only the Strong, Point of No Return, Last Action Hero, On Deadly Ground, Surviving the Game, The Crow, Time Cop, True Lies, Assassins, Bad Boys, Desperado, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Judge Dredd, the 1995 one with Stallone, Mortal Kombat, Rumble in the Bronx, Sudden Death, Under Siege 2, Black Mask, Eraser, Last Man Standing, The Long Kiss Goodnight, The Rock, Con Air, Face Off, The Saint, Lethal Weapon 4, Soldier, The Replacement Killers, and The Matrix. So, there's a lot in there. Yeah, there's a lot. I got my picture up. <laughs> I had to zoom it in because, you know, I can't see. And also, always, we're going to start from the bottom tier and work our way up now. Just like the 80s, we've kind of renamed it we didn't really go with like so much poor because really when it comes to these action films we actually like them all uh there's very few that we would consider really bad like we wouldn't watch it so uh we're being a little more lenient when it comes to the action films and you're still looking for yours yeah hold on i, I... you just sent it to me in the uh thing just pull that shit up okay here it is i there it is and i'm trying to zoom it in but every time i zoom it in it just goes up and down all right there we go i think i got it at something i can I read I, got now. It. I think i got it well, i think i called it oh, i think i did it i think i did it okay all right 
You have mine up too. Yeah. Okay, because you know sometimes I can't. You don't. I can't yeah. read the uh, little teeny tiny I pictures. Can't read. So for me, there's like a couple of them that. I, I will say there's a few in here because you know you're obviously. I don't remember seeing them, or I can't remember them, and then we tried to find them so we could watch them. Well, there's a, there's a few that you said well sound really good, and you just we were trying to find them, and you couldn't we couldn't find so them. So that might be why they're you think they're a little low. It's just because either well, a I don't remember them, or b I just never saw. Right, them. I think usually you'll put them in like the average mm-hmm. to because like decent I, because you think that they're probably going to be good, but you don't know for sure. Well, like. That's why you got rid of bad. Like, for me, a bad movie, I will remember. Bad movies, for me, I remember, and they go in bad. I always put things that I couldn't remember in average average because clearly it wasn't good enough for me to say it was bad or good. So, like, my average is I come in peace, point of no return, under siege 2, and the perfect weapon. And I say that because I can't remember any of them. And I don't know, because you said the point of no return I would really like. Yeah, it's it, we, we were kind of looking it up. It's kind of like La Femme Nikita. So, you know, Bridget Fonda's in it, and Harvey Keitel has a small role in it. But, like, you know, she's basically a, a woman who's been arrested as a youth because she was getting into trouble with the law. Uh Gabriel Byrne takes her and he transforms her into an assassin. She doesn't really necessarily know what she's getting herself into, so her first test is like, you know, she's supposed to kill this guy in the bathroom or something or seduce him, and then she's supposed to have this way out, but they blocked it off on purpose to see how she would handle uh, adversity, and she does. But as, as time goes on, she just feels like this is not really who she wants to be. Like even though she feels better about herself not being in trouble with the law anymore, she doesn't really feel good about being an assassin. So she's trying her best to get away from that. But Gabriel Byrne is trying to keep his claws in her, and it, it's pretty good. I think it also has uh, Dermot Maroney in it, who was one of the guys in uh, Young Guns initially. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think you'd enjoy. I think you'd enjoy anything on this list. Uh, well, I, I do in general enjoy action action is one of my things like i am always right into it's so it's just you haven't really seen these or remember them so that's really what that's the down. hard part for me now in mine it is more or less uh so he curates these titles i don't come up with the, the list he curates it and then i go off of his list and and that's okay yeah like if i was curating something it would be like the fucking notebook uh titanic you know and we could give it time she's gonna do we could possibly do that one time and i mean if technically if you're gonna do rom-coms it can it can be anything like it can be romantic comics there are ones out there i enjoy like you uh, like as good as it gets that um what's the one with um the you, sweetest thing. Mm-hmm. You don't hate the notebook. You just it's yeah, very it, yeah. It's, it's just sad. Sappy. So there are stuff out there. Like I, in fact, that's almost intriguing to try to rank some of that stuff because there's a few we've seen like Just Friends with Timberlake and Kunis. I think. Was mm-hmm. I mean, we could do that, and I'll go through and like pick in my head like what I replay because some things. But we're gonna finish up. The, the action. 90s, and then we're going to do the 2000s and so on, like we did the horror stuff. I feel like I put more 
in best than you did on Maybe. this. Yeah, and that's fine. Um, again, it, it's really kind of funny because between good and best, I can like say, oh, uh, if Deco had something in good in my good list that's in the best, I wouldn't really argue with her. Like, okay, that's fine because I really enjoyed that <laughs> film, and that's what makes the action a little bit easier than horror because horror. They're not always the strongest budgets and everything else. Like, action has kind of that problem, but not near the level that horror usually does. So, in my average list, again, these are just films that I can watch at any time and still enjoy. Are Only the Strong, Mark Dacascos, who is who plays Manny and Brother of the Wolf. That's right. Uh, the interesting thing about Only the Strong is, is that it's all based off of rhythm. So, if you remember... You usually played the game Tekken, and <coughs> and there was a character. Sorry. There was a character in there who was doing the whole dance thing, and that's basically what Cap this type of movie is based off. Uh, I, it starts with the C. Yeah. Cap Cap Capital. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all rhythm-based martial arts, and it's it's a very interesting thing. It's a cool movie. Uh, I just don't find myself ranking it super high because there's just. So what did you? What is it? Only the strong. Where did I put that? I'm not sure. You might put it in the middle tier. I'm not sure. Uh, did I not put that anywhere? I'm pretty sure you did. Let me... Uh, <gasps> did I, I? It's one up, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, let me double check something. Yeah. Okay, so then I put I Come in Peace, which, again, I enjoy, but uh, based on other stuff that's in my list, it's not going to be as high. Rank as high. Point on return. I, I enjoy the film. It's not really the strongest movie in, in totality because I thought that by the previews when I first saw it that it was going to be better than it was. Uh, but, you know, I've seen Bridget in better films than that. Capioera. That's yeah. what it's called. I'm Black Mask with Jet Li. Again, I do really love Jet Li and I love his martial arts. I love his, a lot of his movies. Black Mask is fun. Uh but it's a little campy and it's a little bit too campy for me um but it's fun it's fun and this next one after this is judge dread compared to dread yeah i think dread is way better than yeah. judge dread i actually had judge again, dread a little higher but but they but obviously with Stallone they made it campy on purpose that was the whole point cuz it's all based off the comics and everything else they didn't want to get super serious with it uh, as they did with dread so all right, so in your decent uh, tier. It looks like only the strong. Mm -hmm. What is that? It's the one where I accidentally put the uh, Spanish version oh, yeah. out to justice with still up to go. Yeah, and that is decent. It's not great, but uh, Showdown in Little Tokyo. I don't know what the other one is. That's Assassins with uh, Stallone and Banderas, and then Hard Boiled with Chow Yun Fat. So, I don't, like, I feel like I should like Assassins, but I don't remember it, and I only, it only got a little bit higher because of who is in the movie. Right. <laughs> and I don't remember it. But everybody else, it's decent, you know? Like, I'm pretty sure I've seen all of those, and I'm just like, eh. Like, especially, I feel bad for Hard Boiled, because, like, I... I remember watching it with you, and I was just like, eh. Yeah, I, do, I, I really need to kind of rewatch. It's been a very long time, so even though it's higher in my list, I just I don't remember much from it. I know that Treo and 
a lot of the other guys who are bigger into martial arts stuff than me, they really, really highly love this film. Mm-hmm. So I just have to make sure to go back and watch it. Uh, in my decent uh, tier, I have Mortal Kombat 95. Uh, On Deadly Ground with Seagal. Time Cop with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Eraser with Schwarzenegger. Universal Soldier. That's both Lundgren and Van Damme in that. Showdown in Little Tokyo. Again, Lundgren with uh, Brandon Lee, the late Brandon Lee. Assassins. And then The Long Kiss Goodnight. I had Long Kiss Goodnight up higher. So for me, we're hitting the good. The good. This is something I, I kind of like call it more of like a rewatch like I think all of these things I'd probably rewatch regularly right but these are like easy rewatch it may not have been like the best story but it has a lot of action and the rewatchability is there mm-hmm. so mine was Mortal Kombat. What's the Seagal movie? I can't tell. On Deadly Ground. Uh huh. Black Mask, Rapid Fire, Marked for Death, Judge Dredd, and is this Soldier? Soldier? Okay. That's, I mean, literally, these are all kind of not the best acting, but rewatchable and fun. That's kind of how I put them where they are. When I get higher, like with the great and the best those two are really hard for me because they're like the story the action the martial arts everything about them when you hit great and best is like it comes together good is kind of like it 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 doesn't matter if the story is good but everything else about it kind of makes you want to watch it again yeah you know the funny thing is with the action stuff the the good great and best tiers like literally in this particular decade like is very easy for me to interchange stuff at times depending on my mood but for instance in my good there's a lot of films in here that people are gonna be like dude what are you thinking putting it so well but the reality is it's not me really knocking this stuff. It's just that, again, once we start to get to the other two tiers, I'm like, is it really better than some of this other stuff or even on par? And I'm just not so sure. Just, but, again, it's kind of like a mood thing. So mm-hmm. my good list is Last Action Hero, <gasps> Demolition Man, <gasps> Under Siege 2, Sudden Death, The Perfect Weapon, Point Break, the Matrix, <laughs> True Lies, <laughs> Double Impact, <clears throat> Soldier, mm-hmm. Bad Boys, <gasps> and Total Recall. So these are all good films. Like, I can't knock them for anything other than the fact that they're not going to be way up there. So See, this Neca, is, this is why already. I was like, <laughs> my, uh, my best and great are, like, loaded. Top heavy. Yeah. yeah. So, great, this is Lethal Weapon 4, mm-hmm. surviving the game, uh, what Steven Seagal is this? Oh, Hard to Kill. Hard to Kill, Lionheart, mm-hmm. uh, Sudden, Death. Sudden Death, 
what's this one? Last Boy Scout. Oh yeah, we just, just watched that. that because I, I updated my my tier because I'd never seen it. You had the DVD, and you're like, you've never seen Last Boy Scout. I was like, I don't remember it, and I'm like, fuck yeah, Time Cop, fucking hard target. Uh, I don't know what this next one is. Eraser. Yeah, Eraser. Or this next one. Replacement Killer. Yeah, I'd like the Replacement Killer. We actually did a review of that mm -hmm. on the podcast one time, yeah. What's the next one? Universal Soldier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Double Impact. Die like, Hard. What is it? Die Hard 2. Die Hard 2. Face Off. Last Man Standing. What's Bad Boys. Bad Boys and Desperado. So... Already very heavy in the greats, you know. I mean, these could be good, but the ones that are at the top, I they have like one thing more, like where I consider it even better. And to the point of some of the ones at the top, top, I've watched so many times. I, you know, especially a couple of them, you know, I've watched. Many, many, many times in my best that I could like quote the whole movie. Oh yeah. So that's what kind of separates best from great. Great is phenomenal. Great has a great, amazing story, amazing action, <laughs> martial arts. But maybe best I used to watch like nonstop, and I sometimes like would go insane and just watch only that for a month. So that's kind of what, what takes my best and great, like, line. I, I think of all the my favorite movies, but then I think of, okay, all of everything from good to best has watchability and has, like, replay value. What have I watched so much that I have, I quote it, or that's kind of where best comes, and it, it has, like, a place in my heart. So great is amazing. You know, I think Surviving the Game, I've only seen once, and you showed it to me, and I was like, this is, you know, really fucking good. Well, we've talked about this occasionally um, over the years. During each year, there's always, and there used to be more common than not, when there would be a couple of movies that come out on the theaters, and they had similar plots, but they were different. Mm -hmm. So, whatever the year was that Armageddon came out, I think it was 97. Yeah, there was uh, Deep, Impact. Deep Impact. And I saw that before I saw Armageddon. So, like, Hard Target comes out, and then about a, about a year or so less, Surviving the Game comes out, and they both are somewhere in theme. So, somehow, I'm always wondering, like, how people get a hold of these scripts. I'm like, yeah, you know, I can do this, but not with this name. I'm going to do something. I'll, I'll change the name right. and make it just different enough that, right. you know. I mean, but, like, Anubis knows, like, my like i love van damme and lionheart and what's the other one that i love um it's probably yeah is that blood sport yeah, blood sport but with those were 80s yeah also. so those two so that's why like i think when i look at something like that i'm like okay i love lionheart a lot but I like Kickboxer and Bloodsport more, so that's why it's not, like, up in the best. Even though it's a different decade, it's, like, the same actor, so that's why it kind of, like, floats a little. I know, sorry, dumb. Uh, so, my great list, and some of them are similar to yours, some not. <laughs> Surviving the Game, uh, Lethal Weapon 4. Mm -hmm. And let me make sure, because, was there more than one? No, I think that, no, I think that was it for that one. Um... Hard to Kill, 
Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, Con Air, Last Boy Scout, now we'll get hit with this one, Predator 2, <gasps> Hard Target, Want some candy? <laughs> Passenger 57, The Replacement Killers, Out for Justice, The Rock, Die Hard 2, and Hard Boiled. So those are my greats. Now we're going to Neko's best. And it's packed with a lot of shit. <laughs> but I can't really argue. There's a lot of good stuff in there. So, I don't know what this first one is. Oh, uh, Under Siege, the first yeah, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fucking Under Siege. I thought it was Tom Cruise at first. I'm like, what is this? Few Good Men. Yeah, I was like, is this a Few Good Men? Under Siege, The Crow, Last Action Hero, I, I just can't believe how low you have Last Action Hero. It's a fun movie, but... but no, it's an amazing movie! <laughs> how often do I talk about fucking Last Action Hero? Like, it is my jam all the time. Like, <laughs> when he gets sucked into the movie and he's trying to convince Arnold Schwarzenegger that he's a, an Act. actor and he's like... In the video store? Yeah! And he's like... Oh, yeah, he's great. Yeah, where's Terminator 2? And they like, go over there, and it's like, Stallone. He's like, oh, Stallone's a great actor. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny because we don't even talk about it much, but Stallone and Schwarzenegger did this a lot during that time when they were doing movies because in Demolition Man, Stallone is poking fun back at Schwarzenegger when Bullock goes, yeah, uh, the Schwarzenegger followed when he was president. He's like, wait a minute, Schwarzenegger was president? And he's got like, I got a headache, man. So the guys had fun being action heroes, poking fun at each other throughout the years. And, of course, they all did the Expendable mm -hmm. movies together. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. I, it's Again, it's not... It's in the good list for me. It's not... Maybe it's because I've seen it so many times now that, like, it doesn't go any higher. But uh, I have a lot of fun with it. And also, a big thing for me, this was like 93, 94, early 90s, mm -hmm. and ACDC did the... The uh, big gun, gun. <laughs> and it was new for ACDC. Like there wasn't. It was a couple of years like bef since ACDC did anything, and it was like. But well, that was kind of fun with ACDC because like they were not necessarily putting out records, but they were putting out like songs for soundtracks. Mm -hmm. So uh, you had that, and then you had uh, they did well. Maximum Overdrive was like their entire best of mm -hmm. collection, but Who Made Who was kind of written for that entire record, but. Or soundtrack, so yeah, it was kind of interesting with that. Uh, Rumble in the Bronx. Great film. Saw that in theaters. I love that. What's the next one? That's uh, Dire with a Vengeance. Yes, yes. Uh, Demolition Man. Terminator. Terminator Two. Two is something that I watched because I was in love with Edward Furlong. So you know, because that's what happens. Con Air. Fun movie. Fucking love that movie so much. Um, Predator 2. I sometimes think I like Predator 2 more than Predator 1. You stay and I, I've said it a couple of times, but I feel like they're two completely separate movies. Like, they're the same Predator, but like two completely different ideas. But well, they are, and that's and that's see that's what a lot of people miss. I, I like when people like a lot of us diehards with the nerdum. Uh, samurai, all of us, we appreciate Predator 2 far more than the average person because they look at it and they don't understand the concept. But when you're 
like me, a teenager, going in the movie theater and you're seeing a trailer that's promoting and it's like uh, the concrete jungle. Mm. You know, it changes the whole dynamic. Like, and, you, we, and we did Predator 2 recently as one of my picks. Like, Predator 2. Want some panda? Like, but you have Glover and fucking Gary Busey. I mean, <sighs> dude, it's great. And Adam Baldwin. And yes. what's his face? Uh, Bill, uh, fuck, what, what's his name? I can't, hold on. My brain hurts. I have to look it up. Um, but, okay. Well, what character does he play? He's one of the fucking lieutenants. Um, oh, Paxton. Thank you. <laughs> 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 Not lieutenant, he's one of the cops. Um, so, next is Point Break, because it has my man Swayze. And I don't think I've ever ranked anything that Swayze is in lower than best. No, because you have Roadhouse up there. Yep. Too. So... Something and one thing that really like hits me with this, um, we watched that Patrick Swayze doc and they literally were like he did all of his stunts, even jumping out of that fucking mm -hmm. helicopter. Like they and plane. we plane, sorry, and we were like just amazed and I am so distraught that this wonderful, beautiful, talented man who was such an amazing actor and dancer and like kind-hearted person and like you know he met L Lisa Remy when um they were yeah, you students like they were kids and they stayed together like it, it's just like this beautiful everything about him and um that's sort of the movie too that put Keanu Reeves on like the mm. action hero list because he did that and then speed shortly after I think. And then he did my next one. The Matrix. Like I can't believe you have that so low. Oh my god. I am like my mind went I just think it's a little bit too overhyped. Uh, I don't think it's overhyped and I think we could be living in the Matrix still. <laughs> uh, haven't you ever been on like the the reddit the glitch in the matrix uh or like red thing like the mandela effect where everybody th thought that N nelson mandela was dead but he's really not dead like things that you think you remember but they're wrong there's a few in your list that are, should be higher than they are so we'll just leave it at that uh, well, whatever next is true lies and love this movie so much next is Passenger 57. Always bet on black. <laughs> I fucking love, love, love. Passenger. Next one I don't think we've done yet for a review. That should be soon, I'm sure. This is The Saint is one of my favorite movies, period. I'm not even talking about act, like putting it into a category. Mumbo jumbo. We, I think you and I, that was one of the first things like we... This and Friday, which is... And The Crow. Like, three completely different movies. The Saint, Friday, and The Crow. is one of the first things that we really, like, connected on. And I was like, have you ever seen the movie The Saint? And you're like, dude. Got it right here. Let's watch it. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. We watched... Like, these were the first three movies we watched together. Mm -hmm. The Crow, Friday, and The Saint. And I, like... I, I said to him, and this is me being 21 and not knowing all of this, I'm like, why did they stop with one movie? They could have done so much. And he was telling me... Didn't Val has a history of that, though. That was Val, because 
even when he did Batman Forever, he did not want to do... They wanted him for the next one. He didn't want to do it. Well, I'll pause on that, but this is when I didn't realize The Saint was a show before it was a movie. Mm-hmm. You were telling me Roger Moore did mm-hmm. the show, and I'm like, that's what I was seeing. Like, I could see a hundred Saint movies, like, 007. Oh, yeah. And I... And that would have been fun. Now, remember... Val, he had a hard time during um, the Batman movie because he his uh, suit was so heavy and everybody was making fun of him, but he literally was like, I can't even breathe in my suit. I can't see. And, you know, they're trying to get me to, like, look here, look there. And everybody was, like, making fun of him during that time. He's like, but if I can't see or breathe or everything's... How am I supposed to even really fucking act? Like, and I, I remember when we were watching that doc on Val, like, he was not hating on Batman. He was, like, really wanting to do Batman and really be Batman. But every time he put on the suit, he was like, guys, I literally cannot see where I'm walking. And they're like, oh, just walk straight. And he, that's why when, um, I remember this too, when this came out, um, he has that, like, real robotic, like, Batman walk. See, I never had a problem with him as Batman. In fact, I didn't mind his character or Kidman's character. And, I, I mean, obviously, Carrie was, like, the best thing about it because yeah. he just knows how to if they're gonna If they're going to reboot the Riddler, just bring back Carrie. Because but really, and I hate to say this, Tom Lee Jones was the worst part of that. Oh, yeah, he bit. was the worst. He was the worst Two-Face. That was just ridiculously bad. <laughs> And they made him, like, super, like, comic-y looking, too. The, it, when they rebooted Two-Face. Schumacher. Schumacher, like, they went from Keaton, or from uh, Burton's darker version to this, like, bright-colored shit that, like, people didn't like. And then they just compounded it with Clooney's version of the stuff. And it I just got worse Clooney. and worse. just got worse and worse. So then it wasn't until... Uh, no one did the trilogy that they got back the basics and back to the darker stuff that I really fell in love well, with. Well, the thing is, like, when you saw Two Face, like, it just—I don't even know how. It was like he was half Joker, half. Yeah. It wasn't like he was being Two Face, but when Nolan did it, he was—he looked. Like, his face looked like it was an actual burn victim. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, like, super over-the-top. Now, and- granted, special effects are different, although they did have the ability to do crazy shit back then. It just didn't. But see, I think part of the problem is, too, is they were trying to cater too much to the kiddies. And in in the at that time, that was when the animated series was taking off, mm-hmm. and Two-Face in the animated series did kind of look like that. Right. It had, like, that big half pompadour and, like, the, the lip that was, like, kind of pulled back. I, I just feel like the Two-Face in the Nolan version looks like a person... Oh, it's terrifying. Act- yeah, it looks terrifying. he he's actually a burn victim and God, I forget the actor's name, but he did a fabulous job. Mm-hmm. So my next movie is The Rock and that's another one where like it, it has so I've watched it so many times like first of all, I love Sean Connery. Today, yesterday, I know he's gone, but like Sean Connery for me is perfection and when you have him in an action movie and 
you got Nicolas Cage being like insane Nicolas Cage. It's it's kind of like. Actually, I think Cage was a little more scaled back, but I think what was funny about the ending was when you know Connery told him like you know you check out this church. <laughs> and he found, he's like, oh, you want to know who killed Kennedy? Yeah. <laughs> and he found the microphone. So that was almost like yeah, a moment where you're like, okay, I see National Treasure coming up all of a sudden with that shit. That's <laughs> another one that's... Um, I have The Long Kiss Goodnight a lot higher than you did. That was my next one in the best. Uh, it's another one that I watched over and over again. Um, I will say about that movie... Uh, I'm a big Gina Davis fan. That's the one... Or that's a movie where I thought Point of No Return should have been kind of like because at least Last Kiss can I had a lot more action. It was a lot more involved. I love the part when she started remembering, mm -hmm. like, and she's like grabbing and she just like does the whole gun and she's like, how did I like know how to do that? And I'm going to be honest, I have not seen The Long Kiss Goodnight probably since the 90s. And it's yeah, so, <laughs> it's so, like, burned into my head, like, all these scenes, and, like, the one part where he's like, you just want to kill that school teacher, and, like, it's just so intense, and, but you see that, like, she, she wants to be an assassin, but then she, for, like, loses that, and she becomes, you know, just this Midwestern school teacher mom person, and when she starts getting her old memories back, it's kind of like, it's a nice kind of ending where she's a little bit of both. And Yeah, it, it challenges her old life compared to her new one because she's got kids and a husband and like she has to like decide like what life, because she struggles with that throughout the film where she's like, okay, I'm this assassin. I can't afford to have family because that's a weakness. So then like... But then there's like, oh, I love my kids and my husband, and, you know, she doesn't want them to be harmed. And so it, it's a great movie. Um, like I said, Point of Return, I thought that's kind of like what it was going to be in terms of action, but it, that one fell a little short. Listen, I, I I would not picture Gina Davis doing something no, like and that's this. Why this I is like right after A League of Their Own. I saw the trailer and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Gina Davis is this really cool. And the part where she cuts all her hair and dyes it. like this, It's just like a nice build up. I was in high school watching it on replay and I'm like, you know, I've, I don't know how I, I just have always been very... I love Beetlejuice. I love Thelma and Louise. I love The Long Kiss Goodnight. I mean, A League of Their Own is one of my... This That's another one, like, where it's it's not just a favorite girly movie. It's a favorite movie up there with the Saints. So, Gina Davis is another one who's, like, Swayze, where I really give her... And I don't know why. Maybe because I think she is a great actress... But she's also not like a glamazon, if that makes any mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's not. She's just like whatever I think of her, I don't really think sexy. Like she can. She be, is sexy, but she's just like elegant. But she's not like Michelle Pfeiffer or mm -hmm. Margot Robbie or anybody. Like, but she's a great actress. So that's the thing. So seeing her in this kind of role is different, you know, like compared to some other people, other actresses that have done action films and. Yeah, so what's, what's left? My last one is Total Recall, and, I mean, honestly, 
Total Recall is the first mindfuck movie that I've ever encountered, and I was in the fifth grade, and it's one of the last movies that my grandmother, who passed away in 92, took me to see, and in my house, clearly, there, there were no, like, boundaries. Like, my grandmother took me to see everything I wanted to see or anything she wanted to see. I'm talking from, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles up to Total Recall and Cocktail. Like, there was no... And I, I think that's a good in a way. And also, like, you have to judge it by your child's maturity. But my grandmother... there I was watching R-rated movies and... I would ask her to read me books of Stephen King's and stuff when I was, you know, in fifth grade. This movie, we we went to see the movie, and I remember asking her at the end, uh, I was like, why didn't they show him waking up? <laughs> and this just goes, this is the beginning. This is, you know, 1991 me being a big old dummy. And I'm like how like that was my first mindfuck movie and then i think it went on to fight club and then it went on to inception where it took i still don't know if i understand total recall and i told you it took me multiple times watching fight club and inception and i still don't know if inception I, I still i still don't think i understand inception but i got it like after i watched it and then i'm watching the beginning i'm like that's that old man is the other guy and they're still and i'm like but when I get confused and I'm going to watch Total Recall again, I just start, like, I go through, I'm going to watch it sober and really think about it. And then I'm going to get really drunk and watch it because sometimes I think, like, my creative side of my brain gets activated when I'm drunk because for whatever reason I get really creative with, like, dancing and stuff. If you want to, like, message us and tell me how dumb I am about Total Recall, go for it. But it was my first mindfuck movie. It was one of the last movies that I got to see in the theater. My grandma took me. And, like, the part where they kick out the fucking, like, the windows are blown out and they're on Mars and they're like, <gasps> and, like, I don't know what special effects they used, but it was gross and also awesome, and I love gross things. So Total Recall may not be, I guess, up there with everybody else as it is for me. Probably for nostalgic reasons. Well, at my best of, and it's the best of, you know, the greatest of the greatest films, uh, there's at least four of them that match yours. Okay. So, so that's pretty good, really. Uh -huh. uh, Under Siege. Yes. The Crow. Yes. Rumble in the Bronx yes. and The Saint. Those are the four that we match up with. Yes. Uh, all right, maybe five. Excuse me. Terminator 2 is also mm -hmm. a cut. So after that, uh, it changes a little bit. I've got Lionheart. Well, I have mine in great, so yeah. Rapid Fire. I had that in good. Last Man Standing. Where did I? I had that in... Yeah, they're like in great, I think. Yeah, I had it in, in great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the Bruce Willis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark for Death is one of my favorite uh, Seagal films. I had that in Face great. Off. I had that in great. Uh, Desperado. And those that completes my entire... I had that great. in great as well. Face Off is so good just because, you know, one John Woo does it, who did 
hard-boiled. Uh, I think he's the one who did hard-boiled, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but Travolta and Cage in this film... I love when Travolta has to be Nicolas yeah, Cage, they, they and switch. he turns into Nicolas Cage. Like, he does all the Nicolas Cage Madison. things. That's like, what made it so beautiful, because, like, I'm sitting there watching this film, and I'm like, okay, so now Travolta's got to pretend to be Cage, and vice versa, and, like, they actually do it. I literally believe that Travolta is Cage's <laughs> character throughout the, the part of that film, and I'm like, that's crazy. Like, that, it, it was so clever, because... And Cage dialed it back. Mm-hmm. He was not Nicolas Cage. Yeah, he was. It, it was so good. I mean, it is in my great list. Yeah, it's it's a very good film. Uh, I can watch that at any point. And it also has a little grossness effect too when they're like taking the faces and switching them because yeah, like it, they're like literally. Where's my face? <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> I just touched my face. Just I know this is an audio medium. I um. I mean, everything that you have, I don't disagree with at all. Well, that's what I say. When you get to those top three tiers, you could probably just collect them all into the best, and we probably wouldn't argue too much because they're all very good films. Like uh, like some of the bottom two tiers, like we can watch as well, but they're not as much as we would watch the rest of them. Yeah, when we hit good up to best, it's all about rewatchability, what it kind of makes you feel. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times, I remember... Like, we, we just recently watched Under Siege. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I forgot how good this is. It's and Tommy Lee Jones was better in there. Yeah. <laughs> it was clever. And I'm like, this is, like, really great acting, really great writing, really great action. And fucking Busey. Busey is always... what He's everywhere. Like, yeah. uh, he's... And he's being... Point break. Yeah, he's... You can find him just about Predator 2. You can find him almost any film that we have. And he's being Busey in yeah. Under Siege. Busey being Busey. I mean, I, I, he didn't even need to to act. I, um... I love doing these. And you know what? I might challenge you. I don't know how to make the tier maker, but I might make a list of, you know... I don't want to call them girly movies, but, like nondescript like because they're not action they're they no, might be it'd be like rom-coms or romantic thing because but you'd probably have to do let's just say from 1980 to 2020 because i'm not sure how many of them you can get per decade that you would say is it worth it to do a tier for like I, I wouldn't do it by decade because for me i i i know i talk about rom-coms but think of my ratio Mm-hmm. Like, the rom-coms that I like, I love. Like, most of them we own. Like, mm-hmm. stuff like Hitch or The Sweetest Thing or What's American Sweethearts. Like, mm-hmm. I would see, I see, I can see. Silver Linings. The, yeah, I can um, see those in the list. Like, those. Flashdance. You know, like, those. So, for me, I have my loves. I can tell you right now, Flashdance would not be in my top tier. <laughs> And my problem is... All, and but, I, but mainly because... I know we're getting off topic, but it, it's because it's dated. Um, but you have to think of it... If they reimagined it right now and redid it, and I hate saying remake because I really hate remakes. No, do not remake Flashdance. Please don't ever do that. But it, it needs more substance, and I think somebody... Like, you look at Silver Lines, it's got a lot of great... It has everything. Dialogue, has a lot of great acting, and the problem with Flashdance is it's just a product of its time. I think we had talked about it because you Because it was one of my picks. And it, it, and is, it didn't have the kind of budget that everything else is now, but, you but know. But the thing is, is, it kind of 
was not expected to take off. And then everybody was wearing leg warmers and the cutoff sweatshirt. And, <laughs> huh? Michael McDonald's in his song. Who sang the theme? I'm a maniac, maniac. Oh, who sings maniac? Um, it's not Michael McDonald, though. Um, yeah, I can't remember. Uh, but apparently that song like was one of the reasons why it kind of picked up because that song was hit number well, one. Well, Irene Cara, she sang Fame and she sang um, Flashdance. And Fame is another one that I would like put up there, but it's also, like you said, a product of their time. And it would not be like in my best. I, I feel like I'll, I'll put together a list and you can do the tear maker because some of them are like, you know, heart-wrenching. And some of them are fun. And, like, they're not, they're kind of well, not. Well, maybe you can work on it, because, like, we can take a break from the action for now and then maybe do that next week and see what we can come up with. Because um, I'll be interested in that, yeah. Because it's not even necessarily, like, a rom-com, but it could just be, like, a rom-drama or a romantic. Right. But, or... You get, but they all kind of just coincide with each other. But literally... My ratio of action... Somehow I know Sweet November's going to be in there, and I know where I'm putting that fucker. Steel Magnolias will be in there. Um, you know, but I honestly, like, Sweet November has kind of fallen because of other things. Reasons. And, you know, the, the first time I saw Sweet November was the time that we watched it together. And... You know, that ha alone has meaning to me, but kind of like what you're saying about Flashdance, it just kind of, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel like as real, you know? No, I, like... And then Keanu Reeves is in that too, guys, so... Like, the best thing about Flashdance is the, the lead actress, like, she's really good. It's just everything else around it. There's not a strong enough story behind it in terms of how they built it up. Like, we know what the story is. It's just not developed enough. And Dude, I, I wanted to be a welder by day, dancer by night. And I saw that movie probably when I was way too young. And I... That's why I, ha I hold it in such high regard. Because back in, like, 82, there was, like, three female welders. Hopefully there's more now. And I'm always, like, a champion for the women to, like, get out there and do the do the trades. So when I ever see a, 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 a fellow female, like a girl that I went to high school with, she lives in um, Maine now, but or Massachusetts, she does, like, underground, like, uh, she goes down in manholes and stuff. And I'm like, dude, I, that, like, gets me right here in the feels. So that's kind of why also Flashdance, like, makes me well, happy. We'll work on that. We'll work on that. I'm sorry. I'm tangenting. I'm tangenting. What is up next, DJ Anubis? Got, uh, Devout Elysium provided by Against PR. Brand new stuff from Fit for an Autopsy, but brand new stuff here from Needless, a very cool death metal band. Mournful Heavens, and we will be back. <laughs>
do apologize, songs got mixed up, so this was fit for an autopsy, here's Needless.
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Alright, we're back. DJ Nubis. Clear your throat. Yeah. <laughs> and, DJ yeah. and DJ Neko. Uh, so, so, we're back and I'm going to crack. My parents are dead. My parents are dead. That's like number two after Batman Camp Stop Thinking About Sex. Okay, cracking. We don't care if you're cracking beer. That's all we do here! Yeah, that's right. That's literally all we do. And what I do sometimes, because I am, like, trying to really reel it in, is I'll drunk bicycle. You know, like, my, my station. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll be like, I'll be like, oh my god, I just had, I just had, like, you know, four seltzers. I have to go ride the bike for 20 minutes, and... He's like, what are you I doing? I need room for more salt. <laughs> I've got to work off a couple calories. That's literally what it is. Because I, um... Oh, I'm such a mess. So... Hot mess. I am. And you know what? I am very appreciative because I have you. I was actually, like, just talking about you today. And I, um... Oh, boy. No, no. At work, um... My my trainer at work, I, I'm getting requalified on a system and I was, you know, working on the new fancy cable that we haven't gotten released yet and I have the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip, which is like the flip smartphone. And I had it out of my pocket and it was kind of sitting on the workstation and my trainer, like, he's like, Oh yeah, is that that new phone? And right as that happened DJ Anubis messaged me, I love you more. And on on the on the flip phone it has like a little message window and it pops up and he was Eddie was like, Oh, that's so sweet and he's like, My wife and I do that too, but don't tell anybody <laughs> But it's just I I was, you know, kinda telling Eddie, my trainer, how thankful I am for DJ Anubis. Like, you know, not a lot of guys would be cool with their wife leaving for many months and kind of being the person who makes the, the money and the person who's kind of like and for me I'm kind of the exact opposite I literally like my whole goal in life is to make him as happy and calm and like stress-free as possible and you know that gets tested sometimes with life I mean because life is a pain in the ass but what I really noticed over the last year with everything that had happened was he would always just kind of say to me, if if you can't do it, I'll help you. Or if you need me to take your mom to the doctors, I'll help. Like, he was always just saying the words, I will help you. I will help. And not everybody gets that because I, I had a friend who, um, she had to leave a teaching job because it was actually a very dangerous situation. She was not in a good school 
and she literally had a chair thrown at her by a student. It was just one of those insane things. Fuck that. Yeah, right? And there was, like, literal, like, open drug deals. Just not a good situation. She left. Like, normally teachers will finish out their year and then just not come back to a school, but she felt, like, so in danger that she, she left her school. And that kind of puts a little bit of a mark next to your name, like... So after she had, like, a little bit of time, she was applying to other schools, and there was another school that was kind of, like, also not the best reputation. Well, she hadn't been working in a school and just kind of working retail jobs, and her husband was really pushing her to take this teaching job. And she she was not wanting to, but, like, the teaching job would have paid better, better benefits, like, life would have been easier for them if she took this job. And her husband really pushed her. Anubis, on the other hand, if as soon as I'm having a stressful situation, he's like, remove yourself from this stressful situation. Or how can I help you make this stressful situation easier? And that's what I love about us. Regardless of if we, you, you know, I hope you guys are listening and you heard our blow up last week and we had like a little tiff but and i was like i do maybe it's just being older and i've gained some weight i do like i feel really self-conscious all the time he's like not really like that with me i put these kind of pressures on myself but all in all he is like very supportive of us and me and life and just in general and not everybody really has that in their life that's I think why we're very happy with each other and just happy in general like we're very content everything about what's going on right now things are just very content we're down here in our ta metal tavern lair and it feels warm and content and fun and I'm very I am I'm very appreciative you know it's it. fun though Neko, yeah, Neko found some uh, article on Apple TV, which means I'll probably have to fucking pay for that down the road. You know, we can steal my parents' login. Right. Because they steal all our shit. So Apple TV has decided, I think I saw something a few months back where they were dabbling with the idea of creating a live action series based on Legendary's MonsterVerse. And so can I ask you before you go into the details, yeah. when they say live action, it's going to be like the movie where you've got like the monsters, but like humans too, right? Okay, cool. Yeah, and I think, because uh, from what they're saying here, and this could make people cringe or not, it basically it follows the thunderous battle between Godzilla and the Titans that leveled San Francisco and the shocking new reality that monsters are real. The series explores one family's journey to uncover its buried secrets and a legacy linking them to the secret organization known as Monarch. What that tells me is it's going to be human-driven, okay? We may still see the monsters, and I'll tell you why here. I'm going to explain. But unlike King of the Monsters, where, or even any or 2014 or whatever, because people complained about not enough monsters, blah, 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 wine, wine, wine. Unlike King of the Monsters, if you thought there was just too much human thing, I know Neko was not crazy about all that. She could give a rat's ass about the little peoples. The series will benefit more because you'll be able to breathe more. Like, we see it with, like, stuff like The Mandalorian or even the Marvel stuff where we're able to dive a little deeper into these uh, storylines. And 
I don't know how much monster we're going to get in the series. I'm assuming it'd be plenty. And the reason why I say that is we've got guys like Matt Fraction, who is one of the creators or uh, people that help write stuff like Hawkeye. Or uh, we also have Toho involved personally. They're actually involved with a couple of their own people. Hiro Matsuke and Takamasa Arita are executive producers from Toho who will be helping to do the legendary series because Toho still owns Godzilla's rights like we borrow it to do what we do with it but these guys are going to help create this uh, series for Apple Plus now I don't have it here but uh oh well it's only because I, I read it last night this is very cool for a number of reasons because one of the things that Godzilla fans and myself included, uh, sci-fi, century, uh, samurai, uh, we've all talked about is we need more of this universe, the monsterverse. And apparently, Toho, or apparently, Legendary is still working on a new monster movie, which we want. Right. So it could be a Rodan, could be a Mothra, could be something entirely new. Uh, but the good news is we are going to get a new monster movie. But this series is going to probably be something that's going to tie things in. Like, the good news about this is this is what we wanted because we watched Marvel do it. Is They, they did this world building, uh, universe building with Marvel. We want that with Godzilla and friends, <laughs> as I'll call it. Because... We all love the kaiju. We love the possibilities that are endless here. We saw them with the four movies between the Godzilla stuff and Kong Skull Island. We know they can do this. Uh, sure, movies don't always measure up to what we really want uh, one way or the other. Personally, uh, we've talked about before at length, uh, King of the Monsters is still my favorite Godzilla movie in the entire thing. It doesn't. It's because the monsters are so good. Yeah, the you know the, the CGI doesn't look shitty to me. It, it's it's it brings to life so many of the monsters I grew up with. This isn't to knock like I think I think if I remember my top five was like King of the Monsters. Um, still, it's still going to be like uh, Godzilla two thousand or you know Godzilla vs Mechagodzilla seventy four. They're all like top five stuff for me. Uh, Obviously, you know, it depending on my mood, I'll, I'll, I'll sit and watch the older stuff because it just brings back my childhood memories. But Legendary, to me, has done a very good job. And Neko and I knew this the moment we saw 2014 because you, I, I couldn't tell you or explain to you how our faces lit up watching his tail light up on that Oh, first... God, when we watched that that trailer, we were at the drive-in, yeah, remember? Yeah, drive-in. And I knew from talking to somebody that something was going to happen. I just didn't know when. Like, I didn't want any more information. I said, look, I just want to know, does this dude use his atomic breath? He's like, yes, just be prepared. I'm like, oh, sweet. So when her and I are watching the film and it happens, it's like, we just, it's like this slow. Like we grabbed each other's yeah. hands and we're like. <gasps> yeah. And so, and we're, we're kind of like in the minority with 2014 with all the whole like, uh, Adam Bomb and everything, the backdrop, the backstory to this was very interesting. We enjoy that part of it. Some people don't like it. There's too much people. Well, you know, you got to have people to drive a story. Uh, sure, monster mashes are fun, 
but you still have to have some sort of story to it. Now, Godzilla vs. Kong, it just kind of did the reversal, and that's fine, too. I really enjoyed Godzilla and Kong a lot. Uh, but the story is just like nothing there. But like, And it leaves the movie kind of empty in some ways. Because then I'm like, well, why the fuck do we have them in there anyway? So, you know, some people say, yeah, you don't need them there. Great, fine, that's your opinion. But to me, it's like, I still need some sort of storyline here. Uh, because that, that, it just it's how they inter interact with one another. And people forget, a lot of the classic Toho Godzilla films has a lot of fucking human stuff going on in it. For all the people who enjoyed Shen Godzilla, which I didn't care for that much, it's like 90% fucking humans. I know. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's not... Toho doesn't really do a whole lot different than what we're seeing now. And people have proven that over time, like how much Godzilla time we actually get on screen in the past versus now. So... It's not me trying to bash Godzilla fans. I'm not here to do that because everyone, it's all subjective. We all have our favorites. But the reality is, I just want more content. I don't give a fuck where it's coming from. And so, you know, if we're going to get a series, and I don't, if it's based more on human shit and how they're doing with these titans running around, fine. Fuck it. Because once whatever movie they got coming out, it's probably going to have a lot more monsters in it. That's what's going to make it all for me. Like we were talking about with Sentry. I think some of the other monsters do deserve their own movie, especially Rodan. Like, yeah. I would kill to see a Rodan, prehistoric Rodan mm -hmm. movie. Like, with the the Mayans worshipping, you know, the fire god Rodan coming out of the volcano. I meant to say this to Sentry. Um, Rodan's entrance is like probably the best mm -hmm. like shooting out of the fucking volcano and then flying over that town and it was just like flattening it because he it's like he's so powerful when he flies i mean of course you know mothra is my favorite and the like emergence from the little cocoon into mothra and like i started crying because i'm a nerd but well and it all leaves it so open because we know that and i forget the actress's name but she has a twin sister in in king of the monsters and we know that's sort of like that sort of callback to the old mothra films with the two little miniature twin uh wimp girls so it, we have we have enough there to expand on this universe and we know this mm -hmm. hell fucking we said it about rodan we said it about mothra give me angarius or gigan or even a prequel for how Ghidorah even fucking came to earth i mean that'd be Dude, great that would be really cool because like okay this is gonna this is another universe but like Remember the first Transformers movie? Mm -hmm. And, like, when they were finding fucking Megatron down in Ant... That's the same thing. That's, like, where... Like, that's where all the aliens end up, like, frozen in Antarctica. How could you not have someone from, like... It, it, the, just when they did that whole, like, scene where they were sailing and... You gotta think, back then, you've got, like, just sheer manpower. Nowadays, you've got a lot more happening, and you can... Like, Antarctica has, like, a fucking store. Like, it's a huge base now. It's not like the thing back in the 80s. It's not like what you're seeing in Transformers when um, 
Uh, Sam Witwicky is talking about his great-great-grandfather going down and, and finding... So if you had something like that, maybe not prehistoric like Rodin, but something like... No, I think you have a good point there because we saw it in King of the Monsters when it's underwater, that whole like mine, whatever, mm-hmm. Aztec uh, city. Uh, you have remains that look it, like... Yeah, it's like an ancient city where they're like showing. Um, and that was like where isn't that where that's where Godzilla like found mm-hmm. was was laying yeah he was down in like where the radiation was the the strongest and trying to recuperate uh from the oxygen destroyer but oxygen destroyer. yeah I mean you, you have so many possibilities both with Mothra and Rodan you can easily go back to their origin stories and that would make it a lot of fun like and depend on how this series does like and where they go with it in terms of plot while we know what they're dealing with in this particular plot here because of the San Francisco stuff, but man, it's so wide open. And I'm excited because initially people who, and this is just the dumb fans I call them because after King of the Monsters and G vs. K, they're like, no, no, Toho's not going to let America use the rights anymore. Well, fuck you guys. You're fucking wrong. They're letting us go ahead and keep on going with it, so fuck you. Uh, it doesn't mean Toho's not going to do their own shit with Godzilla, which is great because more Godzilla is good, good for the rest of us. But I got so tired of hearing these guys continue to tell me that uh, America's not, and Legendary's not going to be able to use the Godzilla stuff anymore. I'm like, fuck you, man. You don't know this. And Toho is directly involved with this series, which is great. Because really, America has a lot of success with the films compared to Toho, really. And so, if we can get Toho some of that back money for using those rights and giving them, you know, compensate them for allowing us to use it, that's a great thing. Well, I feel like Godzilla also, not just here in the U.S., but worldwide, it it did make more, it made money here, but, like, when it was released worldwide, it, it was doing great, like... Yeah, and Toho, the people that, you know, the, the company itself loves what Legendary's done with it. Oh, God, I remember. And it's kind of funny because uh, Chad Dukes mentioned this on the last podcast I listened to because he was talking about, um, like, the monster emergence in movies. Like, how in Jaws, you, you, when you finally get the monster emergence. And, and he said, you know... He, he wasn't really a fan of the movie. He thought it was just okay. But the whole build-up and when Godzilla finally came out and how it happened with, like, the fucking tsunami, it was, like, a beautiful monster reveal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that Toho probably is like, you know, we never really thought of, like, what would happen if a giant monster kind of like what it would do if you're emerging and you see like well, how I, realistic what, well, I they, mean, they really... did sort of address some of that when they did Shin like and, and to their credit they got a little more creative with the Godzilla mythos when they were saying he started out as one thing and then he started to transform into what he became and his, his weapon was very devastating like that whole like lasers from the tail the spikes his mouth like it just i mean i'm just not crazy about because i'm more traditional when it comes to like well, you, you know me because 
beside the legendary Godzilla's, I like the Destroy All Monsters movie. That's like my favorite one, and I don't know why. Like it just is. And but when Legendary came out, I mean, I remember my first my first sailing trip. It was before um, King of the Monsters came out or Kong versus Godzilla, and I had the first Godzilla on my hard drive and I didn't have a lot of movies on my hard drive because I had a smaller one and you know it would have been great to have a bigger one because I was gone for four months and we were like you know just running and I was watching a lot of movies but I had like maybe 30 movies <laughs> and I watched Godzilla like non fucking stop. Well, I thought Legendary handled it all well because I remember us freaking out about the, the initial trailer for mm -hmm. 2014 and the end of it, you know, you just see Godzilla coming out of the smoke and doing his roar. And, like, I initially went into that thinking, okay, well, this is going to be another, like, you know, Godzilla's the enemy and he's going to be attacking the city and whatnot. So, I mean, I was kind of, like, already psyching myself up that that's the version they were going to go with. And then we started seeing other trails where there was another creature involved. And, of course, Ken Wannabe. I say Wannabe, but it's Watanabe or something. I forget how he pronounces his last name. He's a really great actor. But he says that. Like, he's like, he's let him fight. That's mm -hmm. his, his quote. And I'm like, oh. And at first I saw the flying thing. I was like, was this Rodan or is this something else? And it's uh, the Muto. Right. So... Then it becomes, well, at the end of Godzilla, you know, 2014, he's like, you know, king of all monsters, and we're all excited because he's like, Godzilla, he's like the friend of humans right here. So some people hate that because they wanted Godzilla to be the villain, and I'm like, well, I'm more of the Godzilla's friend, but he's not like, you know, he's not going to go high-five you or anything. He's more of like an anti-hero. He's like... You take care of business, but he can give a rat's ass about the humans in general. It's like he just does his thing. King of the Monsters expanded on that. And then, of course, when Godzilla and Kong came out, we all know about the original. And, you know, I was, like, dreading the fact that they're going to try to, like, Kong win. I'm like, this can't happen. <laughs> Don't ruin this entire trilogy. Yeah, but then they got Mega Godzilla. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I cheated because I kept reading people's reviews who'd seen that. And I told you, don't tell me anything. I, I didn't, I didn't. I, and that was, that was my biggest thing because I feel like I would have, like, I love King of the Monsters. I do. But I am with Lady Fatblood. They just kept throwing out these trailers and then when I watched it I was like, I already saw all these monster reveals in the trailer. And for me, like, the little, um, details, so, like, remember in the first Godzilla when right before the um the uh plant exploded and you have all this like heart-wrenching shit but like when the kid is in school you see the little rodans like in the origami like those type of like subtle details the mother stuff yeah, yeah that means a lot and what King of the Monsters did was just like blow their load a hundred times before I saw the movie. Doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it, but I bet you if I saw zero trailers, I would have like, like you give it a 10 out of 10, I give it like an 8 out of 10. If I would have seen any trailers, I would have loved it more because I would have had more of a surprise and I would have given the humans a bit of a break because I would have been so excited for the monsters. 
I saw all the monsters in the fucking trailer. Now, with uh, Kong versus Godzilla, I purposely told him, I don't want to see one trailer. I don't want to know anything. I think he did watch the one, but that's the only one they put out. Yeah. They didn't blow the load this time. They left it as is, and they left it very open-ended. This is why it was driving me fucking crazy, because... <laughs> Like, in true form, Godzilla fans were sitting there debating, like, what the trailer actually means because we're listening to what's being said uh, by the characters. And, like, you know, like when uh, the... I forget the actress's name already. Uh, Bobby... Millie Haley Brown. Bobby Brown. Yeah, she uh, makes a statement like, well, there's something triggering him. And then her dad's like, we knew Godzilla's attacking people. We don't know why. So then we're like, oh, there's something else afoot here. You know, it's not just Kong. So, obviously, for my own sanity, I was trying to figure out exactly what was going to happen because I, I wasn't going about to go and watch a film and watch Godzilla lose to Kong because it, technically, for me, it, it just isn't logical. And it doesn't matter how much other things you give Kong in order to fight, which is fine. I, I knew that they were going to make it competitive one way or the other. Uh... But the one they did in 63 was bullshit. <laughs> Period. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, but once I found out that there was a third player, I was like, okay, this makes sense now. Because, one, Kong and Godzilla are both alphas. So it doesn't make sense for them to really try to kill each other when, you know, we have a third party that's probably a bigger threat to both of them. What I liked, though, um, was... Like, Kong almost felt lovable, you know? And He's a great character, in fact. Well, let me, let me finish. And then, you know, they're taking him back to his home, and he got, like, so excited, and then he got sad again because he realized he's the last. Mm -hmm. And he's looking at all the, like, hieroglyphics up on the wall, and then he finds his, his axe, which had Godzilla scales. But then you think... Godzilla is also the last one because apparently the Kongs and Godzillas of the universe have been the Titans have been fighting for ages and now we have just Kong and just Godzilla who are left and I think that you know during their fight they kind of they they have this you know it's like the Chiefs and Broncos. They have, like, this hatred for each other. A but rivalry. Yeah. yeah. But then they kind of accepted, I'm the last one, and you're the last one, and we're just going to be, like, not liking each other, but we're going to stay out of each other's way, and now we're going to do something about this other problem, and we're going to put it aside so, like, if the Chiefs and the Broncos could combine and form a mega team and, like, destroy the Raiders, that would be, like, amazing. I don't know if anybody else gets that. So, anyway, uh, definitely looking forward to these. I'm, I'm hoping the Monsterverse can keep going because while I don't expect it to quite hit the magnitude that Marvel has, I think there's just a lot of possibility there, and I do think that there's a fan base out there, including us, that would be excited for stuff like that. And we would go watch this in the theaters and everything else. So, uh, yeah, and I would definitely sign for Apple Plus if it happens. Or we'll at least get the login from her mom because definitely going to watch that shit one way or the other. 
All right, into our third block of music. Black metal coming your way in the form of Frost, Almac, and here's some stuff from 2021 that I missed from Sally. It's Baleful Beauty. Very nice.
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace. Yeah, our off-air discussion is <laughs> really good. <laughs> Anubis's name is one, one way. way <laughs> one way street. Yeah. His expectations of me are very different than my expectations of him, or should I say, his actions are very different I'm than used my. To a certain accustomed of life. <laughs> He's accustomed to a certain lifestyle. <laughs> He's such a brat. Oh, Shit. my God. Uh, okay, so we're going to get ready to get into our rock block. Uh, I've got some classics in here from Martin Briley, Griffin, Xinner, and new stuff from, or actually also classic from Jada Lady, which will kick us off. But uh, Neko's Pick of the Week, of course, and got some new stuff from Sepsis, who sent me a track, so that's going to be in there as well. But here's Jaded Lady, a bunch of ladies, called Break Free.
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and is highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you
right. That is Zinner. Fight the dragon. DJ Nibis here. And DJ Neko. And now it's time for Neko's pick of the week. So this one is kind of like a simple one for me. And I'm kind of going back to my like nostalgic roots. It's another ballad. It is another ballad, but this is very special, and I think I mentioned it on another podcast at one time. So last week was it last week? <laughs> Pretty sure. Or was it the week? I can't remember. Because I think we started singing it last week. Oh shit! Okay, so and you were like, "Put that on my list." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> okay, I will." Okay, so this song uh, is by White Lion. It's when the children cry, and it was a big, big deal when this came out for me. Um, not because I was a huge White Lion fan. Uh, I think this came out in, what, 88? So I was not even... I, I mean, I have a late birthday, so I was seven most of 1988. But what the big deal was, um, my dance teacher, she wanted to do a special dance for some of the younger girls my age. And the I used to call them the big girls, but they were, you know, like high school aged girls and um she wanted to do a little special dance and i got i got chosen to do this dance and it was a huge deal for me as a kid and um that's how i first heard this song is in dance class i was not like a white lion fan or anything and i'm sure as i got older and started going to skateland and did couple skate they you know they play this kind of shit when it's you know romantic but the first time i heard this was in my dance class and for me i was like just so blown away because you know as a kid you don't have any idea like what genres of music are right you know i've always said it i grew up with lots of different influences like my mom liked black sabbath but she liked hall and oats and she liked michael jackson so i as kids you kind of grow up especially when you're that young you grow up around what is playing so this was not something i mean it was very popular at the time but it wasn't something that like my mom gravitated to because she also listened to like the oldies you know like 50s doo-wop kind of songs too and um that was played a lot in my house because my grandparents um, and my great aunt and uncle, they would, um, they'd all gather together once a week and, and play cards and games and stuff. And that would kind of be what was on the radio. So when the children cry, when I heard it, it was like very different. And for me, also very special because it represented me as a young dancer being chosen and good enough to do something with the older girls. Um, I didn't realize that it, it got, it peaked at number three in the U.S. and number two in Canada, but it only got to number 88 in the U.K. So, like, you know how we hear about, like, when we were talking about the Bee Gees? Mm -hmm. They didn't, like, break through until Saturday Night Fever here in the U.S. Like, nobody heard really paid attention but in the UK they were doing okay they weren't like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones but they still were charting but it was not anything to kind of like break on into the US and you got to remember even in the 80s and the 90s even though there was internet in the 90s but like I'd say pre-2000 
it was a lot harder to get your music kind of internationally known because back in that time period, you're really like hustling as you're like, play this song, play this song. You're going around to different, your territories, you're a salesperson. And I, I honestly couldn't believe like a song that I felt was so impactful to me was just kind of like mediocre. Like it, you know, because they had one other song um, that was wait. wait that was pretty popular, but they they're and they're good. They have a great voice. They have a great sound. But it's kind of like they just kind of existed for a second and went off into oblivion. But in my mind, this was like, you know going to the Grammys or something for me because it was a big deal to be chosen to do this one dance and have like a partner who was an older girl and but there is nothing wrong with this song at all it's very well done and I was just looking over a little bit of the biography of the band um the vocalist Mike Tramp I didn't realize he was Danish until today at all and they were you know their number weight went to number eight when the children cry went to number three and number two and um the album was pride mm -hmm. i believe yep. and that went double platinum because of those two singles and that's still a like even nowadays it's a big deal to go double platinum like it's just not everybody can do that and off of two singles. Yeah, I was. I remember I was at the boarding school when I picked this record up. So really, I hadn't seen any videos or anything. I just saw it. I remember it was being advertised. You know how they did displays out and mm -hmm. everything. So I bought it on a cassette. And uh, weirdly enough, it's one of those cases. Same with Gun N' Roses. Like, I picked up that album before the band actually broke big. Like... I remember just seeing it. I said, okay, I'm going to buy it. And then by, like, I bought it in probably August for Appetite Destruction. And then by December is when Welcome to Jungle started really picking up mm -hmm. the game. So same thing kind of happened with Pride. Like, I was listening to the record. And I was like, wow, this is really a good record. And, of course, I got to the sixth track, which was Wait. And I really fell in love with that track. And so I got home for a break, and of course, watching MTV back then when I actually played videos, Wait came on. I was like, oh, yeah, awesome. Like, I got a chance to see the band for mm -hmm. themselves. And Trap does have a great voice. Uh, Vito Brada is an amazing guitarist. Like, you really, he's one of the most underrated guitarists you'll probably find in the hard rock, hair rock genre. But you're right, because after that, they put out Main Attraction a couple of years later, and they, they did a cover of Golden Earrings' uh, Radar Love, which the record itself didn't do as much as Pride did. And it's like, you thought maybe the band would kind of, like, blow up from then, but they, by then, by the time they came on 87 Pride, like, the Poisons, the Rats, the Van Halen's, the Crews, they'd already been out there doing the same so thing. So it was like a second-tier kind of, right. yeah. So they really didn't catch on like the rest of them did. Uh, and, of course, when you can't really follow up an album like Pride as strongly as you can. Like, you know, with Crew and Rat and them, they were putting out good record after good record after good record. So it was difficult for some of these other bands to keep up. 
uh, on that level. So this is kind of like what was happening with the um, alternative when we we were watching that doc, where it was like as soon as somebody heard something that was alternative and they liked it, they were just like signing people trying to get that yeah. next Nirvana, that next Pearl Jam, and yeah. you know a lot of times it fell flat because just because you have an alternative sound does not mean you're gonna sell records. What I um, also learned recently, which was kind of interesting, um, you know, Mike Tramp, he had a solo career, and he, in 99, he released Remembering White Lion, which had new versions of some of White Lion's songs. And um, he was trying to reform White Lion, like, again. So then the momentum for the new White Lion commenced another second best album of white lion hits with another updated version that he orchestrated so by 2003 he announced that white lion was going to re reunite with the original members and then all the other original members denied it and this is like kind of the time where like that nostalgia is starting to kick in where they want to do these reunion tours we've seen it with poison we've seen it with everybody and um he already had some summer festivals booked and he started to put together new white lion like he was staying with white lion but naming it new white lion to kind of like skirt the legal issues right and the new um members were james lomenzo jimmy degrasso and warren demartini of rat and then um vito brada filed suit claiming partial ownership of the name and the tour had to be scrapped. Tramp later commented that despite his willingness, there will never be an original White Lion reunion. And then um, in 2004, the album Remembering White Lion was re-released under the new title Last Roar because they had to get rid of White Lion from 1999 because it wasn't released by the original people. Then Mike Tramp tried to organize another group of mus musicians in 2004 and continue with the name New White Lion under, oh, sorry, it was Tramp's White Lion, just like Queen's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tate's Queen's right. Yeah. And this didn't stop the, the legal issues with the former members. So they played and re recorded White Lion songs, touring and releasing a box set titled The Bootleg Series and a double live CD titled Rock in the USA in 2005. So then in 2005, the uh, new White Lion had a lot of their concerts canceled because the promoters were worried about legal action by the other members. And by the end of the year, Tramp had almost completely given up on White Lion, but then he was inspired to continue with booking a European tour. And then in 2006, Tramp's White Lion, I'm doing like the quotes because that's what he's calling it now, played several dates in Europe. So then, um, this is so crazy. In 2006, Vito Brada appeared on the Eddie Trunk show in New York stating that despite what Mike Tramp said, he had never refused a White Lion reunion, even though he sued him, and stating that the only reason he was unable to participate was due to the illness of his father, which is probably legitimate, but he still you know, sued him. He added that he would still be open to the idea and has not closed the door of returning to the music industry again. 
Trunk made it clear that Brada's involvement in the show was something that he had wanted to, to happen since White Lion first broke up. Brada took calls and answered questions for fans, and in 2007, the reunion shows in New York, Brada made his first musical appearance in over 15 years. And then three weeks later, Tramp called the same show from Australia, speaking about Brada. So Tramp called the Eddie Trunk show, speaking from when he was in Australia, um, talking about Brada and the band's new album, including tour dates of Tramp's White Lion that have been recently confirmed. And Tramp had said that he was thankful that Brada had finally answered the fans' questions, the same questions he himself had been asked many times. And then he um, felt uncomfortable about answering on Vito's behalf, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that was kind of their culmination or, or reconciliation in 2007. So there was a summer tour in 2007 that was had Poison and Rat and uh, White Lion was supposed to be going with. But after Vito threatened to take legal action, again... Over the name in 2007. So. Some of the things I just never understand. Like. He's saying he never wanted to. Like he never like turned it down. But then. Yeah but what I don't understand. is like these guys that hold on to these names. Like they don't do anything with them. Like it's like oh. I own White Lion. And I'm not trying to pick on Vito or anybody. But. I own the name. But I'm not putting out any music on it. And I'm not trying to form any group on it. But like. Tramp is clearly trying to still push the music, which is good. I know there's some, like, bitterness between former members of bands that we've seen all the time. I'm like, you're not doing anything. Like, it's just, it's one thing if you're trying to go out there and, and continue to promote your music under the White Line moniker, but... Well, that's what Tramp was trying to do. Right. And it's like, you know... In the end, couldn't Tramp just, like, buy out Vito for the whole title of White Lion? But see, that's the thing. They had to drop from the Poison Rat tour because even though Live Nation, the, the promoter, said that Vito was being, like, egregious and, like, they didn't think it held any water, they still didn't want to have to deal with any kind of litigation because then it would include Live Nation and right. they had to drop them because they were a liability. So... Here we're hearing Vito saying, I have no ill will towards Mike Tramp, but yet for 20 years he is always interfering, and even though he's going Tramp's white line, he's saying that's partially my band and right. my and band's name. Right, and I'm like, name. dude, like, get over it. Like, you have the white line name, just go with it. Like, it's, it just bothered me because, like, it's one thing if Vito's trying to do some sort of, like, tours or another album with the white line name which is fine if you own it but Vito's not doing anything you're spending 20 years doing nothing like why like what are you that like angry about shit that you're just not allowing the guy and to that's what it? i feel like it is don't you feel like it's more personal at this point it is than and, but nobody wants to really kind of admit that and that's a shame because that's what it's all about like they're just being personal about it and it's like quit Get over it. Time flies. People are going to be dead, dude. Just let the guy go out there and sing the hits that you guys made as, as youngins. And it's like... Well, ultimately what's happening is Tramp had to abandon White Lion and put it on hold because he every time he would try to like reinvigorate White Lion, Vito would show up. So he had to like go on with his solo career 
Um, and he did a couple of solo albums, and he even had um, a song called Distance and Him to Ronnie, which was a tribute to uh, Ronnie James Dio. And then he did like an acoustic rock album in 2013, and they're officially saying White Lion is over, because like every time that Tramp tries to revive it, Vito like comes out of the woodwork saying, no, no, I own part of White Lion. So I wish, like, you know, White well, Lion... I know White Lion's done because Lomenzo is actually one of the original members. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's now recently teamed up again with uh, Dave Mustang and Megadeth. So mm-hmm. he's going to be on that tour. But, yeah, it's just, it's a shame that these guys cannot, like, just get along enough to allow, like... Again, maybe work out some kind of because this shit happened with Rat. Bobby Blotzer's continued to try to go out there and tour under Rat's name and in some form, but the only difference is Piercy and company, everyone else is doing it too. So they had to go to court and Bobby lost. So they, you know, Piercy and everyone else is going to go continue with the name, but it just cracks me up. It's like the guys that aren't doing anything with the fucking names. Uh, like Queensryche, they're both doing it, so yeah, okay, I get it. But at least they're allowing them. And to... they're both in some kind of like, I don't know what the right word is. I want to say agreement, but like there is some kind of understanding that there's Queensryche, and then there's like Jeff, Jeff Tate's, Tate's Queensryche. Right. So, and I think when we saw Queensryche, it was before all of this happened. Yeah. It was like still the one and only Queensryche. Right. It wasn't any bullshit going on. And. I, I feel bad for, um, you know, Tramp, but I also, like, I kind of feel Vito's side, but instead of being an insufferable prick, do something where it's like, okay, you want to tour and you want to use White Lion, then I get, like, 2% or something yeah, the only like thing, that. The only thing I can see in terms of, like, Vito's point of view is that at this stage... If you're continuing trying to use White Line, just go by a different name. Just go by Mike Tramp. Because they know who the fuck you are. Well, that's what he was doing. He was, you know, Mike Tramp's White Lion. And then he was yeah. completely solo with his own original work. Right. And, but and he still wanted to perform, you know, everybody when they see... I mean, let's be honest. Like, you want to hear when the children cry or well, wait. I think he can still do that. Um... I can't say for sure how that all works, but I know that Cavalier does it because he goes out with Soulfly with mm-hmm. his brother, and they play set tunes. They have the right to do that. Um, now, whether or not Andreas and them give a shit at this point, they're like, you know, it's some of his work, so we don't care. But uh, Queensryche, I'm sure when Jeff goes out there, he's playing classic Queensryche mm-hmm. tunes with his vocals. Uh, we saw a little bit with Morbid Angel when... Initially, Tucker didn't want to sing any of David Vince's material, which mm-hmm. I thought was stupid because it's all part of the same band. Uh, but then we saw Morbid Angel the last time, and they played God of Emptiness and stuff like that, which I thought was wonderful, and I'm glad they finally did it. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like if Vita's trying to keep him from playing anything White Lion related, that's kind of bullshit because they, they wrote it Every together. time it seems like that he booked a tour... It, he would come out of the woodwork and it make a problem. Yeah. 
All right. Well, here's the. Uh... I know this was like a total history lesson, and for me, it was you know I started out from a nostalgic point of view, but then I always like to do a deep dive, and deep dive. Deep dive. And I, I'm happy I do that because sometimes when you think of some of your favorite memories and you hear kind of like, I don't want to say controversy behind it, but you hear like the struggles of these musicians, you kind of, and I'm an adult now, so I'm like thinking more like an adult than when I first heard this song when I was seven years old. It gives you a wider perspective of what's going on. But without further ado, we're going to listen to White Lions When the Children Cry. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow and we will break new ground hailing from the land below the wind ten nine eight seven six five four three two DJ Neko's pick of the week. Today. 
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer. Hate Beak and Zell R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. Alright, we're back. Closing out the rock block. Sepsis. Yesterday isn't me. So, so sent out another article. I was heavy on the articles this week. I um for me it's hit or miss. I um he always like teases me. He's like, You're playing on your phone or you're playing on the computer. I'm not really playing. I read a lot of news and a lot of articles. Oh, don't let her kid you, she's playing. Cause... Yeah, I'm playing. I'm watching all the porn. But I really was um I have a couple of news and article sites that kind of have learned what my interests are and this kind of popped up it's on screen rant and it literally is every version of robin ranked and so i've always been kind of a nerd i'll say it but into my adulthood my nerddom suffered a little bit because you know, sometimes you just don't have time to keep up with all... And I still don't have time to keep up with things. So I don't know every single, um, you know, story and behind-the-scene things. But what's interesting is a lot of people um, don't realize that Robin is not just one person. They think Robin is, you know, whatever Robin that they remember immediately. And that Batman is... Bruce Wayne. Well, Batman is Bruce Wayne, but there's been several mentors of Bruce of Bruce's that he has called Robin. Yeah, I think we'll go through each one because I, I like I don't know a lot of history except for one of them. Uh, there's actually two of them now that I know, but there was a two or three in here that I find very interesting, and they're opposite sex, which I didn't know about Robin. But we'll start with number ten. Uh, Jason Todd, I think I recognize the name, I just can't really place it. Um, well, first of all, Dick Grayson was the very first Robin. Okay, but we're going to get to him. But that's what everybody thinks Robin is. Right. So when we say, like, Jason Todd, that was at a different time. And that's what we're talking okay, about. Okay, okay, go ahead, go ahead. But he was, he was the one who replaced... Grayson, and that's why he is like number ten. Comics. Yeah, that's why he's number ten because Dick Grayson was the OG. Well, they say he was so hated that DC had a fan vote of whether Joker should kill Robin, and the fans voted let the boy wonder die. So I don't know exactly why. Is it just because he replaced Grayson? Mm -hmm. Is that what it was? Yeah. Well, number nine is the first version of a female wonder that I've seen, Stephanie Brown. Which again, I don't have much history on this, but I find it intriguing because. I don't think I've seen a female version at any point represented uh, in, in movies or anything like that. So, Stephanie Ryan was the most tragic Robin in DC Comics. She really wanted to be Robin, but at the time, Batman didn't want to mentor a new sidekick. He finally relented, but put Stephanie in a situation she never had a chance to succeed in. He gave her strict rules and had a zero-tolerance policy. When Stephanie broke one of the rules... Uh, Batman fired her on the spot. She went out to redeem herself, and Black Mass tortured and killed her. Wow. That's some rough That's shit. That's kind of, like, depressing. Yeah. Uh, number eight. Uh, it's not Chris O'Donnell's fault. 
but he portrayed Dick Grayson in Batman and Robin, the Joel Schumacher film uh, with George Clooney being Batman. And it was just more of an attempt to make it as campy as hell. They introduced... And Chris O'Donnell at the time was like hot, hot, hot. Yeah, he was like one of the big names back then. And, uh, but then you had also, uh, the clueless girl in there, Alicia Silverstone, playing Batgirl. Oh, she was hot, 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 too. But they screwed that whole thing up because they had her as, like, Alfred's niece or right. some shit. Yeah, I hated that. Um, but then, yeah, it also, this is one of the things that I talked about with Sentry last night on his late night stream was certain films, like, we were talking about Batman uh, Returns, Burton's one that we did a mm -hmm. thing on. There's not enough time or long enough parts of the movie to develop these characters that we have. So you're throwing in the, everything in the kitchen oven in there. So you not only had, like, three characters for Batman on Batman's side. You had, uh, who's Arnold Schwarzenegger's? Mr. Mr. Ice. Mr. Freeze. Freeze. And then Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy. And then you had, like, the Bane psychic, which was dumb as shit in there at the time. But, but the thing is, like... The movie is so bad, and it's like it's forever scarring to watch it with the Donald because it's not the actor's fault; it's just everything else going on with the film that's such a pain in the ass. Uh, number seven, Helena Wayne. Uh, this one I don't know about either, but clearly she's related to Bruce, uh, daughter of Bruce Wayne and Selena Costa, Catwoman and Bruce, I guess, had a baby at some She's point. the original Huntress. Oh, really? So, so she was Robin, but then became Huntress, or vice versa? She ended up on, this is a multiverse thing, she ended up on Prime Earth, where she became Huntress, and she was with Supergirl, and then she changed her name to Power Girl, and the Huntress in the DC is now not the same character as the original version. So it's it's one of those, kind of like the, the Spider-Man movie we just saw, like how there's three different versions of Spider-Man, and it's a multiverse type thing. So, but yeah, um, she was... I'm trying to think when this was, because I, I, this, I think, is when I fell off of the comics... Yeah, this has got to be, like, in the late 90s when I kind of fell off comics. All right, number six, uh, Duke Thomas made his debut during the We Are Robin, Robin storyline when young vigilantes in the Gotham City began taking on the role of Robin, so there was more than one here. And this I don't know anything about, like, the We Are Robin story. Again, I love hearing these things because... I am a nerd at heart, but then there's so much going on in comic books that you can't possibly, like, keep up with everything. Uh, number five, Burt Ward's Robin. Yes, we're familiar with this from the TV show with Adam West. And Burt Ward. Yeah. Uh, we'll want to go on to that because we just know. Yeah, about. but he was also supposed to be Dick. Right. Uh, number four, Carrie Kelly. I don't know anything about this one. Another female version, uh, apparently in *The Dark Knight Returns* by Frank Miller. So this was this was one of the um, the animation from the original, I guess. Mm -hmm. And also, like in the comics, kind of after they started the *The Dark Knight*, 
uh, animation, The Dark Knight Returns came out like later after that. Uh, number three, this is one we just discovered basically, is Damian Wayne. This is the uh, the little pain in the ass during the Harley Quinn uh, animated show that we just watched where he's talking a lot of shit, he's very arrogant, but apparently he's the son of Wayne and Talia al Ghul. Damn, so, fucking Bruce has spread it around. Right? He's a little fucking whorebag. Uh, but this is where this kid comes from, and he's insolent, spoiled, and arrogant, and he refused to play well with others. And that's true, which makes what Harley does to him during the, the animation much more hilarious. But he also, like, there's a show called Teen Titans, and he was the Robin in Teen Titans. Oh, is that the live one we watched? Not the live okay. one. There is an animated Teen Titans. Gotcha. Tim Drake is my the next one. He's Number my two. Yeah, he's my favorite... Um, and that he is the one in the live one. If oh, he, okay. So he is. That's his name. That's right his name in the live one. I guess it's on HBO or the Titans show. HBO Max. Yeah. yeah. So Tim Drake is the Robin in the Titans live action one. The um, Damian Wayne is in the Harley Quinn show, but he's also in the Teen Titans animated show. Gotcha. So Tim Drake is the one, and he, I think he came out in like, it had to be the early 90s, because this is the Robin that I always really, really liked. And, um, he was, this is where, like, they're saying that hurt his popularity was he was sometimes too awesome. He sometimes would, uh, overshadow. Batman, and this is where, like I was saying in the Titans, he went on to become Red Robin and then Drake. So that's what's happening in the Titans show on HBO Max. Gotcha. And then number one is the OG Dick Grayson from the original, original, who became Nightwing. Which I really like that character. You know, my game uh, Injustice 2, they have Nightwing in there, or Robin, or at least a version of that, which is very cool. And I'm assuming this is the more darker version where he's a little bit more vigilante rather than... I mean, Batman's vigilante, but this is a little more darker Robin compared to some of the other stuff, right? Nightwing, yeah. Yeah. Like, he gets, like, fucking Hawkeye medieval and shit. <laughs> well, it, what was Hawkeye when he went... Uh, so, yeah, Hawkeye was Ronin. Right, and right. So that's kind of, like, what th- th- happened thing. here. So, it's all interesting, and if, if I misspoke about any of these, I am really sorry. You can crucify me. I'm just speaking from memory. I only have so much time in the day to keep up with the Robin universe, but I thought this article was, like, absolutely intriguing because we have been kind of dabbling in the DC universe with the Harley Quinn animated with the Titans TV show and I me like Tim Drake was like my I remember being in my like 11 12 13 14 like Tim Drake was the Robin at that time like in the comic books and he was he became my favorite and it confused me because the Grayson character was the original but I didn't I mean it's hard to kind of like understand what's going on 
when you're kind of young and you're like Robin is supposed to be one person and then I'm reading current comic books and it's Tim Drake but then you're also reading older things and it's saying that it's Dick well, Grayson. That's, well that's why when we were watching the Harley Quinn thing you're like no it's not Bruce's son. What? What? And I had to look it up. I right. was like what is going on? Alright well we're going to get back to some music and actually uh -oh. it's a dedication and echo from Kevin Tarrant. Oh our number one fan. Yeah so He's sending out this uh, dedication to her to kick off the next block. Get some classic metal from Judas Priest. This is Painkiller. Oh my god!
this is Jessica from Factory of Dreams. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? They suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Alright, we are back. And I apologize, I didn't have time to get a clip of the movie, which I had intended to do, but... Oh, yeah, there's yeah. so many good clips in this. Yeah, so... Neko had been talking about doing this movie for review for a while now, and we finally got it on DVD because it is a good movie. But we, we both watched it last night and we're like, God damn, this movie's so dark. And it doesn't end very happily. I had to, I'm like, I can't go to bed now. Like, we watched it and it was late, but I was like, I cannot go to bed. I need like a palate cleanser. I, I cannot go to bed on this at all. And, uh, so, we, <sighs> this movie for me, I remember watching it, like, when it first came out, and I remember my grandfather was like, he just wants to get home, and he, like, snapped. And literally, that's kind of, like, what I remember my first impression of this movie. And if you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about Michael Douglas in falling down so we bought this movie a couple of months ago and it was kind of on a whim because i was like i haven't seen this movie in a while and i always remember really liking it and it was just like a really simple premise but like i i just cannot remember the last time i saw it so i did not remember the impact this movie had on me so while we're watching it i'm like because i've been to my breaking point before and i'm done this like twice in my life where something happens and we are all struggling like as human beings but like the first time i actually remember just kind of snapping and just making a very irrational, I don't want to say irrational, but like a snap decision was to do my 
job when I was in purchasing. I was so pissed off that I applied for my current position and I told my former manager that I'm transferring if I get this job. And I just, like, I was so mad because I was told all these promises and then someone who I didn't feel was qualified to get a promotion ended up being my boss out of nowhere. And I was so, I like, Anubis remembers. I was, like, seething and I was ranting and I'm a good ranter. And I said, fuck this shit. I, YOLO, you only live once. I'm going to do something that I find interesting and I did it. The second time again was work related and it was recent when I you know I had to take a different job to take care of my mother and in August September it was Labor Day weekend I was so angry because because like I was supposed to take I took off one day in seven months and the one day I took off I got like a text message about something very trivial that could have waited until I came back on Tuesday and I put in my resignation like just said I resign and that was it I can fully relate to being pushed to your limits because maybe I'm a little bit more controlled than what happened in falling down but I know what it's like when you've hit, you've hit that, that, I, I hate saying the limit, but everybody has a limit, like, okay. That's key. With me, I don't yell at kids ever. I never, remember on Christmas when I, like, kirked out on, on my nephew? Mm-hmm. Because nobody was disciplining a child who told me, to shut the fuck up and and it, it gets a little worse because look our family in general mainly her side because that's who i spend most of my time with because my parents don't live in the state but they think know, it's funny right that's that's where it is like we 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 understand that we're a little loose-lipped with our family in general because we don't get uptight about shit but there's always a time and place for something the pro- he was- and when they do overstep those bounds, it becomes a joke to the grandparents when it shouldn't be. And and I was, like, proud of Missy because, like, she wasn't having any of it. He's a young kid, so she's not, like, going to beat this kid to death or anything. But she, I, I would never hit a kid. I can't. She had to put him in his place. And, he was, and let he him was, know that he was, was very overexcited for Christmas. And mm-hmm. he was not listening to his mother, my sister, my mother, his grandmother, and I said, you need to calm down. And he told me to shut the fuck up. And then that's when I screamed at him. And, like, it felt like the air was sucked out of the room. Like, my dad couldn't believe I, I like, screamed at him. My dad has never heard me yell like that ever. I know Anubis has, but... So, everybody has, like, a breaking point. And for me, like, at that moment on Christmas, I'm like... His mother is here. She should be parenting this child. Why am I the only one who is like, you, you know. Well, especially with something like that. Like, it's it's one thing. We know they get sarcastic, all of them. But if you're in it, like Jackson was just kind of carrying on and on and on. It's like, at some point, 
your sister or the grandparents need to step in and like correct him. But it, it shouldn't be up to you to do that. But you did. And you're in your right to do it. And no one really gave you much problem about it. They were just kind of giggling it off. Which, that's kind of embarrassing on its own. But, you know, it, it's so funny. And we, we I don't want to sidetrack this whole thing because I really got a lot to fucking say He's on got this. a lot to say. But your father... If that shit happens to him, he's very quick to, to snip it in the bud. He won't tolerate that shit mm-hmm. happening to him. We saw that today. But when it happens with everyone else, it's a big joke and everything's funny. It's not funny. If it's bad for you, it's bad for everybody. Like, it's okay if we are understanding, like, okay, Jackson's just being silly so we can handle it. That's fine. But when it starts crossing that line... That's when it has to be fixed and corrected and handled, in which it wasn't. But it's it's the limit, is what we're saying. Like there's times when Anubis has his limit. I remember one time, it was so funny too because I like was in mid sentence and I don't I I said something and he got mad and he started like pounding his fist on his desk and I was like, slow down there, killer! You didn't let me finish my sentence, like because. I had said something, I, I started my, and this is the, this is also a problem, I started my sentence with no, because I was in the middle of doing something, and I said no, wait, and he was like, remember, and I was like, dude, I was just gonna say, let me finish, like, because we, we were doing some remodeling in the basement, I was like, let me finish the floor before you invite anybody over, and he's like, Okay. But, like, his, his like, snap, because he was like, you never let me have people over. But none of this is anyway, really what this film's about. This um, is, but this is, it is, because it's about people's limits. But, Continue. Uh, the premise of this film is basically Michael Douglas plays a gentleman who works for the defense, uh, government defense um, department. And he's in the middle of L.A. traffic. Like, it's hot as fuck. His A.C. doesn't work. He's in some shitbox. And he's stuck on this highway to the point that all this shit going on around people honking kids in the bus yelling uh he just throwing things at his car yeah he ends up just getting a suitcase a briefcase uh stepping out of the car and just walking away like to the point that another driver's like where are you going he's like uh i'm just gonna go (laughs) you know he's doing like the whole uh guy from office space he's decided he's not gonna put up with it anymore he's leaving so he walks away from the highway, leaving his car abandoned. So we we follow this guy as he's going through at a convenience store. All he wants is like, you know, change to make a phone call because they have pay phones. This isn't like cell phones and shit like that. At least not the ones that he can afford. Uh, so in order to get even changed, this Asian guy, Korean guy, is running the store who's telling him you need to buy something. I don't give out just change. And, of course, then there's a debate about the price of the can of soda, which is 85 cents. And He's like, but I can't make a phone call. Right, so you have to, you have to understand, uh, Douglas is like this clean-cut white dude with a flat top, glasses, tie, sharp-looking dude. Uh, he's now in, like, this neighborhood that's very sketchy because of where he was on the highway. So he's, like, sort of in the, the ghetto or, you know, low-income area. So... At some point, there's, there's a scuffle between him and the Korean guy. He takes the bat. Doesn't harm the guy, really. Just, you know, there's a little bit of pushing and shoving. 
but he starts like smacking around stuff in the uh, store, like destroying the property inside, saying like, "What's the price of this?" Boom. And there is this lecture from Douglas who tells the Korean, "You know, look, I protected this country from communists for many years. Like, you come here, and like, there's this debate about the finances and all, having a job and everything else. So it just goes into this other rant." I'm going to get into some articles that discuss some of this and where people, some certain people look at it a certain way. I'm just going to tell you now that I disagree with some of the stuff that's mentioned because, again, Neko brought it up that it, it, this is about breaking points. This is about, you know, you being upset about one particular thing, but then it's compounded by other things that you might find troubling in life. So what happens to this particular guy throughout the course of this movie is it just gets worse and worse and worse. And it's not really those things that drive him over the wall. It's just that they're compounding a problem that he's already dealing with. And one of the things that we brought up that doesn't get talked about is the mental illness aspect of this. It doesn't mean that Douglas's character is actually mentally ill. It just means he's going through a very tough time, which can be a part of that. Uh, it's a tough time that he's going through, and it's all—it's like a snowball effect. Mm -hmm. So, like, he is dealing with a divorce, yep. not being able to see his child because of a restraining order. He lost his job. He is sitting in sweltering heat, and his air conditioning stopped working. There is nonsense going on, and then it was like something clicked in his head and he literally it's his his daughter's birthday so he's like i just want to call my daughter and wish her a happy birthday and right then he, he was basically in traffic going to work like he's supposed to go to work but he doesn't have a job like he's just been going through the motions and this is all he's so used to having a job that like he just never stopped driving wherever he'd go during the day like he's been doing this like a month i guess mm -hmm. or whatever it was so because he currently was with his mother due to the separation. Uh, Barbara Hershey plays his ex-wife who has the kid, and, you know, he's trying to make calls to her to say, look, I'm coming home. Like, that's all he's thinking about seeing his daughter. Uh, and I think that's just him sort of, like, at that point saying, I need some sort of normalcy to what's going on in my life. Like, he, he just, it's his daughter was, like the calming effect right like as soon as he and, and he still loved his wife but you know obviously there was issues there before they got separated which is one of the reasons why his wife ex-wife has been you know whenever she's getting calls from him she's like calling the police like i got a restraint order against the guy he's never touched her but he's been very angry he does the noobs thing banging on shit and yelling which probably drives her insane and scares, and scares her yeah so in the midst of all this, we have this cop who is retiring, played by Robert Duvall, and he's on his last day because, you know, he's dealing with personal issues with his own wife and, you know, family history of a kid dying and whatnot. So he's, like, trying to call it quits, but what ends up happening is he gets hooked into this uh, issue where Douglas' character is, like, <laughs> creating crimes, uh, you know, even if they're kind of small they're connected in some way and so Duvall's character is trying to put this shit together like there's a pattern here that we're seeing in the, with the description of who the assailant is and uh, Douglas gets involved with a couple of gangbangers and that turns into a shit 
fuck thing where he imagines a shit get, fuck thing. I like he, that. Where he manages to get his hands on their uh, bag of uh, guns and shit. So then that really gets interesting. Uh, so much to the point that one of the best scenes of the movie, he walks into a whammy burger. <laughs> I kid you not, that's the name of it. Uh, wants breakfast. It's 11.33 and they're telling him that they're serving lunch now. I've been there. I've been there. I've never flipped out on anyone over it, but I've been there where I'm like, hey, I want some lunch. And they're like, it's 10.25. We're not serving lunch yet. I'm like, well, fuck you. Fuck you. So, then this big thing blows up in the restaurant. He pulls his gun because the manager is like trying to be a sarcastic bitch about it. Uh, and of course, then the tune changes. Everybody freaks out in there. He's like telling them to calm down because he's not meaning harm for people. Uh, but he's clearly someone who's very much on the edge of what's going on. And we kind of just, again, we watch this as it's progressing down more and more as the ex wife is not wanting him to come there. She's telling him to stay away. He doesn't want to stay away. But he's in the midst of trying to order. And finally, he's like, you know what? No, I want lunch. And this is my favorite scene in the whole movie because they finally give him the, the burger and fries. And he's looking at the burger and it's like this squished up mess. And he's like, see, this is the problem. How does this look, look like, like this. that? And he's got, you know, the picture of the nice juicy burger. It's full. And he's explaining what the problem here is. Like, like, why am I being served this piece of shit mashed up, whatever it is, and it should look like that. Uh, then we're just done with that scene, and again, we're just still going on, and there's detectives now following up, but some of them aren't putting two and two together, but Duvall's character is. So, eventually, I'm not going to explain every detail, but eventually he gets back to where the ex-wife and the kid is, and he's with them for a short time before Duvall catches up with them, and he really doesn't mean any harm. He does have a weapon on him, and of course... His wife is a little concerned, but he's only hugging him and trying to talk. He's really just trying to find some normalcy uh, from the shit that's been happening to him, not just that day, but in his life. So he's clearly missed his family, uh, clearly misses his job because he did get fired. We find out later he's laid off, and it's just another triggering point because he kind of feels like uh, life has abandoned him in a sense. And what was the one thing that the guy picketing had? It said. I'm not economically viable. viable. So, and then he said, don't forget about me. Right. And so, and sorry, Douglas's character kind of takes that on as like, I'm not viable anymore. Like, I'm not needed. And he feels left out. Uh, not going to give away the ending. I think it's just some people need to watch. Uh, it's a very good film. But there are, Neko threw some articles at me. One review by... Uh, Roger Ebert, which is very good, which, you know, that guy gets it in this case. Uh, but I'm going to point out the one that she gave me from the Phoenix News Times from 2017. So this is already quite a few years later, and this is uh, written by April Wolf. I have no idea who she is, uh, but if there's ever a time when someone says that someone is tone deaf, this chick is it. And I'm not going to hold back on her because I think that she's both ignorant and clueless in terms of what this movie addresses. And it's not that she doesn't have points about other aspects of life when it comes to race, sexuality, uh, hardships, 
you know, it's not about that, and that's not what this film's about. This film isn't to rub uh, lower-income people's noses in their uh, shit, or it's not about uh, racism per se. There is some a guy in there that's kind of racist, but even Douglas's character tells him he's a piece of shit. So, but what this woman does in her article. And I think I'm going to read just a couple paragraphs here. She says that Falling Down was filmed in L.A. amid the riots is both ironic and telling. Uh, defense, this is his tagline on his license plate. Entire narrative is driven by his misconception that he is the true victim. That's problem one. Uh, it's not about who's true victim versus another. What isn't learned here by her is that you don't have to be a particular color or sex to be a victim of anything. Uh, you don't have to be in a particular class, uh, social class, uh, financial class, to be a victim of anything. Uh, and this is where I get really agitated by people like her because they want to create this war between people because she does. She feels like that anyone who's privileged, I suppose, is the word that she wants to use. Like, if he's got a little bit better job than, the, say, the people in the restaurant, which they were all white, but she wants to pretend they weren't, and that's what cracks me up. But she wants to use this class thing as a reason why we shouldn't feel bad for Douglas's character, which is unfortunate because, it, again, tone deaf. You don't understand that everybody can have problems. It doesn't matter where you are in life. Uh, it's, you know, no one was going into this film. Schumacher wasn't going into this film saying... Um, that Douglas, everyone needs to feel sorry for Douglas because he's a uh, a more working class white boy. That yeah, was, and he wasn't rich by any means. Right. So it, 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 already she's kind of already off to the wrong foot here. So even as he marauds through the city, terrifying fast food cashiers, construction workers, and immigrants, people who have far less privilege than the white college educated defense does. The riots, of course, were a reaction to Jerry's public sympathy for the white police officers who beat Rodney King. The cops were portrayed by some media outlets as the real victims with everything to lose, even as King himself suffered unquantifiable brain damage. The film itself is a caricature, but it carries the stain of this reality in every frame. Like most of Falling Down, the opening scene where defense is stuck in downtown traffic on uh, 110-101 interchange, unfolds before a particularly smoggy sky. But that industrial 70s thick air is actually from that April's blazing fire as the smoke from real black rage backgrounds is manifesto on white paranoia. Falling down is a Los Angeles a long way from La La Land. But anyone paying attention to white rage today will find familiar the ways that the film coaches defense behavior and economic anxiety. Not that he'll say to himself. Now She's right about what's going on around the film and the milking of this film at that time with the Rodney King riots and everything else. But the film has nothing to do with that. Not a single fucking thing. Uh, outside of the fact that some of that shit's going on at the same time, Schumacher didn't make this film to try to uh, put a, a easy coding over what was going on with the police and Rodney King. Uh, the other thing is, again... No one's going into this film. Like, Neko and I were talking about throughout the entire film that you don't sit there and say that Douglas's character, or defense as we call him, we don't go in there saying he's a hero by any means. 
We don't. We just understand some of the shit that's going on and how he feels. And as I said, you know, there's a point where probably even in this article where she's trying to use racism by Douglas's character. So we have an incident where Douglas is actually minding his own fucking business eating a sandwich on some bricks. And he happens to be in a, a gang territory. So two guys from a gang approach him, which then start to hassle him, then start to uh, threaten him physically with a blade. And at this point, he takes the bet that he took from the Korean store and chases these guys away. Now, how that becomes him being the aggressor, I don't know. I'm, I'm not following anyone's logic there with that. Uh, later on, these same dipshits, thugs, they are thugs, come along in their car. They're, well, they're legitimate gang members. Right. Like, they, they've acknowledged that they are all legitimate gang members. Right. They come looking for him to shoot him, drive-by style. They end up shooting everybody but him. And then, then they end up crashing the car. It's the one moment, though, where, again, our our defense guy is confronting uh, the one dude who's left crawling around on the ground from the car wreck and taking the bag of guns. He could literally have just shot the dude to death right there and didn't. In fact, the only guy that Douglas shoots and murders is a fucking white supremacist right. in the film who thinks that Douglas is another guy like him, but they're not anything like alike. Uh, so here we are, like, defense is basically minding those his own business, and he's being hunted by gang members. Now, there's nothing racist about that from Douglas's point of view. Uh, so how this chick, April, kind of got that from this film, I don't know. She did, She clearly didn't watch it because there's nothing in that film to show that Douglas is racist. Just because Douglas said something about the Korean and how he fought to uh, keep America safe, you might say he's a little prejudiced, but the reality is, again, if you're taking it in context of everything that's happening, if we have a conversation on politics... We're going to have different views about something. We've seen it with your parents, my parents, uh, people that we know. Uh, that doesn't make people racist, okay? That just has a different opinion and viewpoint. And we need to start getting away from the racist tag of being so loosely thrown around. Now, with all the shit that's going on with his personal life, Defense is in this this convenience store, and he's like pissed off because this guy's trying to charge him eighty five cents for a can of soda that's yay big, and he needs the extra change to make the call that he wants to make to his wife. Now, we agreed. He's loony, and he's done some things, and he says things towards in throughout this film, where he's basically implying he might kill her because he's pissed off that she's keeping the kid away from him. But when we see them get together at the end, he clearly still loves her. He just, as she said, even when he was sitting there, you need help. Unstable. Right. And, you know, again, I would say that even towards the very end, uh, when Duvall's character is there, that they all kind of handle it the wrong way. I don't know if you got the same feeling that I did, because the minute they're staring at the gun on the ground, he's acknowledging to her to kick it away obviously they're trying to protect each other and all of them but 
I think at that point, defense's state of mind was a little bit more calm. Like, he was fine. Yeah, but in the end, spoiler alert, he's like, uh, Robert Duvall was like, you know, live to see your daughter grow up. Well, that's a whole different thing because I think, I mean, that's sort of like the interpretation. Like, we don't know what his ultimate goal was. I think he just wanted to be with his family. We do, but he also knew deep down that wasn't going to be a reality because it's not going to happen because he's already committed crimes. Right. So, but we also knew once the gig was up, he wasn't going to go back alive, like one way or the other. Well, he made the comment, like I said, I can't watch my daughter from grow prison up cells. from prison, and then he's like, he said something about his life insurance. Remember? Yeah. So, and then he kept telling Robert Duvall he had a gun, he had a gun, he had a gun. So he was basically begging for by But, his I, but I, I guess my point, yeah, that was true, but I, I think my point is if Duvall and Barbara Hershey's character, the wife, had been a little bit smarter, they may have talked him into, like, not going that route. But she's so. But it's at the it's at the heat of the moment. Like, I know, she's and it's so scary. paranoid. Yeah. And the cop is paranoid. He doesn't want to get shot himself. So and he is kind of funny. I didn't catch it till this time of watching it. Uh, again, she's already kind of giving the way to any. But well, that, I mean, this movie is from '93, so it's no spoilers. So yeah, so defense is telling Duvall he has a gun. Uh, everyone else is backed away. The cops are back away with the girl and the mother. And uh, this is what Ms. Neko said. Defense is saying, like, uh, I know that if I die, she'll get my life insurance and the kid will be fine. So he, he says he has a gun. And we've already seen him in the house where the mother lives. They, they had escaped out the back at that point. but So he pulls a water gun that the girl had been playing with throughout the day. And, of course, Duvall thinks it's a real gun at first, so he shoots him to be safe. Of course, nowadays, if that had been a black guy with a water gun, all shit would have broke loose, right? We don't care about the white man being shot. It's just the black man. If he's uh, got a no weapon or no weapon, it's like, cop shot first, that's it, you know. But, I'm, again, to me, that's a legitimate shooting. That's just me. Uh, but it is interesting because before defense falls over the railing because they're on the boardwalk he says I got you I would have had you if I had a gun because Duvall is actually wiping away water from his eyelid because that means that the water gun actually hit the mark so uh, pretty interesting uh, I'll let you if you want talk about the Roger Ebert review if you got it up I have it up somewhere here he is so Roger D. Ebert gave it because I thought he had a lot of good points. He gave it three stars, right? And what does Roger Ebert go? Three out of five? Is that his thing? His is four. Four. So, so three out of four is really good, right? And you know, he basically said some will find it racist because some of the targets are African American, Latino, and Korean, with a few whites thrown in for balance. But really what and I, I kind of agree with with Roger Ebert he's like but there's there's always been danger signs with defense right 
and we learn about it kind of like gives you little pieces throughout the movie and one thing that i gotta find is his quote uh roger ebert but one thing that you realize is that he's already unhinged when he starts to walk and we were talking about this like the hot day the mm -hmm. air conditioning everything but then it snowballs and literally the tools of violence this is quoting roger ebert fall into his hands so all he wants to do is call his daughter and he's at the korean convenience store now granted i'm not defending anything that happened because he didn't hurt the man he smashed up his stuff and that's wrong but literally like he's so fed up the korean business owner said you have to buy something to get change and then when it wasn't the change that he needed to 50 cents to make a phone call he starts going crazy and then finally at the end when he's like okay how much for this coke and the um business owner says 50 cents he pays him 50 cents like he pays him a dollar and takes his 50 cents because all he wants to do is make a phone call and then he grabs the baseball bat and Kate keeps it with him so it feels like as he's going it's almost like a fucking like video game yeah he go he has the baseball bat now and then he was like you know he just wants to sit down and have lunch and it's like as so this is something i noticed and also robert e, e. michael douglas and pendergrast who is robert duvall they both are starting they're both two different people like protagonist antagonist and they're both feeling the same way they're feeling Trapped. like like impotent unnecessary obsolete um you know defense said at one point he was overpaid and undereducated or is it the other way around undereducated i think he said it was well he said the same he, he was educated more than the job like he was overeducated well he job. was he was like i'm overpaid but uh undereducated or is it i'm overeducated and underpaid i don't remember what they told me like they're both feeling that way and robert duvall uh who's pendergrass felt the same way because he was like kind of reserved to desk duty after he had an injury and he was asked by his wife to you know stay on desk duty and he's like this is his retirement day like they had a cake and a stripper and <laughs> everything was supposed to be like rock you know this is his last day but he's feeling it too you know his captain is treating him like shit you know told him that he never trusted him and then in the end like when the when the captain's like you know, this wasn't um, Venice Beach Police Department who unfolded this. This was one of our police. And this is, uh, you know, Officer Pendergrass. And then he was like, fuck you very much. That was what Pendergrass <laughs> said to his superior. Because it was in response to him telling Pendergrass, I don't trust a man who never curses. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it was, you know, throughout the day, the, you know, Pentagrass is trying to tell his superiors, like, I think this is what's going on. I think we have a guy that's, you know, not necessarily a, 
a known criminal, but he's kind of like making his way through the city and he's causing issues. No one wants to listen, not even the guys who were covering the gangbang and stuff. They're like, they've got the girlfriend there who pointed out defense was the guy that, you know, they were after. And then, they, you know, they get the, those detectives are like, Pentagrass, you just stayed a death duty, man. This isn't for you here. And, like, they don't want to listen to it. But he does, the good news for Pentagrass, he does have a, a female detective that he's friends with that they're close with. And she is one of the ones working She's, some like, of on the street. Right. So, you know, he's able to get convey the message to her, and they're the ones that actually are chasing down uh, defense to find out what's going on. It's really interesting, too, because, you know, when you see a defense, he is written as someone with a very coarse sadness in his soul, and so is Pendergrass. There's a coarse sadness in Pendergrass. Is that that's his name, right? Pendergrass? Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a coarse sadness in his soul, too, um, because, you know, he, Pendergrass lost a child years ago. He's retiring, so he's in his 60s. Years ago, when the baby was about two, she, you know, she died from SIDS. And he's carried this sadness for years. And then, you know, you see defense, he's beaten down by life. And, you know, when we, the opening scene is gridlock in LA and he's already just worn out you know he's had enough but we don't know why yet yeah this is this is like a good thing that I wanted to point to about what uh, uh, Roger said he's, it's in that same article uh, it says because the character is white and many of his targets are not the movie could be read as racist I prefer to think of it as a reflection of the real feelings of a lot of people who lacking the insight to see how political and economic philosophies have affected them fall back on easy scapegoat. I think you mentioned this. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a job and the Korean shop owner does, it's easy to see him as a villain. It takes a little more imagination to realize that you lost your job because of the greedy and unsound financial gains of the go-go junk bond years. So basically what Ebert is saying is that and this was and I, I'm, I'm sorry, it, it was written right after the movie premiered. Defense uh, wasn't really singing out the Korean guy because of his race. He was singing him out because he still had a job. It, that you could have replaced the person with a white person, and the response from defense would have been the same. That's what he was saying. It, 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 the 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 idea is there's so much rage and anger going through defense right now that he doesn't even care who it is. It can be female. It could be black, white, pink, purple. It's just the matter of what is going on. It's a matter that this fucking can of soda has cost me 85 cents when I need 50 cents so I can go make a phone call. Mm -hmm. It's the premise of what's going on with the economy. It's the premise of inflation, everything else. The job, his wife, it's all accumulation of everything that's going on. So when I read other articles and they're trying to single this out as like a racist... Uh, victimization of the white man rage like it, it's so tedious and not well thought out like you're not really paying attention to the movie itself and then that's not even including that we're you know we're in a society that, that article by the other girl like Eberts was right after the movie but this other article was 2017 by then we're supposed to be addressing mental illness something that people like her 
have said that when cops are uh, confronting black people on the streets who supposedly have mental illness issues, that we need to take that shit more seriously and not shoot them and gun them down. Well, here she is saying the exact opposite, that we shouldn't be taking this guy seriously because he's a white, privileged male, the way she would call it. That's retarded. We can't do that. Retarded is not... Still, I don't give a fuck. It's retarded. She's not thinking clearly. She's illogical and naive. She's illogical. The one thing that we need to realize, it's... I feel like Ebert is getting a little bit more deep in... Because the movie is deep. Yeah. And then he even mentioned that it, it would be a shame if this movie is seen only on a superficial level, which I feel like the girl from the LA Times who wrote the 2017 article was kind of going at. She's more on the superficial level. She's right. the one who is looking at this from 2017 instead of 93 and she's looking at it very superficially like this is just a white man you know on an anger rampage where a lot of times you have to think like you know but see i think that's a weak but that i'm not i'm not i'm not excusing her i'm just saying like i just want to say real quick i think that's kind of the problem with some of these modern uh article writers and stuff because if you don't really understand the context of the stuff that you're watching and making a, uh, an article on, then maybe you shouldn't go the distance and try to manipulate your article or the people reading it to the point where you're getting them in a frenzy over something that, that's not really true. And, like, even... I just... I point out many things in her take on the movie that she's inaccurate about, like... Even with uh, Ebert, he's saying that a lot of his victims are not white. Well, that's not really true because the victims, either one, are attacking him, or two, it's a white supremacist that he actually murdered. It was another white dude who was a piece of shit. So we can we can chastise and be angry about defense's intentions with his, his ex-wife, I don't believe for a second, judging by what I watched, that he was going to harm the daughter at all. But he was angry with his wife, justified or not. And I don't, you know, I don't condone that he was going to harm the wife in any way. But I, I do like that Ebert had noticed that we never got to see Douglas's character before the meltdown, because he was upset, he was sad, he was dealing with shit. And it was almost like when I came out of that movie, I was kind of like, if I had been a son of the mother, I probably would have been a little angry at her because I mean, like, not because my dad just got shot on the fucking boardwalk, but I would have been like, why weren't we trying to help him? Like, even if you guys are separated, why weren't we trying to do anything to help him? And same with the mother. Like, the mother seemed fucking clueless as hell, too. But she almost seemed, like, scared. She said she had mentioned that they'd be eating dinner, and it was just weird. Well, we saw when they were watching home movies what he would do when something would not go exactly the way that he wanted it to. He would get very rageful. Oh, very OCD, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But, again, we didn't know, like, because clearly there was that point where the wife was telling the cops that he had never hit her or... Yeah, and, and the cops, the cops were confused. Yeah, the cops yeah. weren't really taking it seriously. They're like, "So, what are you worried about, basically?" 
And that and it, and that's the hard part with with any kind of. Um, well, yeah, she from her point of view is like I just felt that eventually it was gonna go there. Like that's she he never did it, but she felt like he was gonna get to the point where something bad was gonna happen and he was gonna get physical with her or the kid. So that's why we have the separation and the restraining. And she she saw his his anger like it it was kind of like brewing under the surface until again he snaps. And I honestly like I feel like everybody has this kind of anger in them and they almost are like shit I can understand where like he, he just snowballs out of control but as you were talking with like mental illness and you know people just were not really I don't want to say recognizing it but weren't because like when she reached she got the restraining order but like when she kept she called the police three times and then when it was number four they were like we're not wasting any more time going over her house because every time they went over there... He would never show he up. He would never show up and nothing was going on. But that's because they were all expecting him to be driving there, whereas he was walking and trying to catch buses and shit to mm-hmm. get there. So it was a much longer... And that just compounds it because, again, it's hot. He's walking out there and in the midst of all this shit... He's dealing with all these other people that he feels are big assholes, like the phone booth shit where he shoots the phone booth. Like, he's just clearly losing it more and more as the movie goes on. So, yeah, let's wrap this up. At the end, the one thing that was, like, really poignant was he's like, I'm the bad guy? Yeah. Like, he, he was he, just... He, he couldn't understand that. He, he did not understand that. He he's was like, just so upset because, literally, his he had, again, this was like a video game... He had a quest to go from his car to his daughter's birthday party. Yeah. And when he, he, he just, like, his face just went to, like, this very bewildered look when um, Pendergrast was talking to him and, and, you know, pointing the gun at him. And he's like, just, I'm the bad guy? Because he wasn't... Nothing was premeditated in what happened at all. Which goes against the mental part of it. It was... Well, no, it kind of goes with the mental part of it. Because premeditated would be someone of sound mind premeditating murdering. But he just was walking through, like, jello or sludge the whole day. And there was always an obstacle in front of him. Mm -hmm. And... His mind was not like, I'm doing anything bad. I'm just trying to get home. Like, it was a quest. All he wanted to do was present a present for his daughter on her birthday. And to see, like, his bewildered face and, you know, it's hard right now in society, like, with with covid and with like you know people losing jobs because of covid like you can see someone who we i i had another article for this week about um uber eats drivers only making like four dollar tips and they're just so beat down where 
I could take this as you could take this movie instead of it being you know a guy who lost his job it could be like an uber each driver who gets stiffed out of a tip after driving completely across town and he realizes i just spent all of my own money on my own gas and got zero tips and got like five dollars from the restaurant you could see anybody in that position where it's they could just be like I just I just want to get the fuck out of here. I'm crawling out of my skin. And that, that's just the thing for me. It's like, again, I just go back to it because, you know, we're all human beings. We all have problems. It doesn't matter where our status is in life. Uh, I'm not here to argue that some people don't have it worse than us. There are, I'm sure. Uh, but I'm not ever going to listen to someone tell me that my feelings or that my pains or my sorrows or my depression or whatever doesn't mean uh, or doesn't make doesn't garner me any kind of empathy or sympathy from anybody because I deal with shit too and it might be on a different level than some people and I don't care if you think that I have more to gain as a white man in life than somebody else I'm not going to debate that I'm just going to debate the fact that don't disregard me from my own issues in life like just because they're not the same as someone else's doesn't mean I don't have them and that's really the point of this movie is like it's not about whether defense is like if people are supposed to feel more sorry for him than say Rodney King which is what that woman was trying to compare that's not what that's about those are two separate issues and we always have to address them separately uh, it's not about yeah the woman was basically trying to say like this movie completely ignored the fact that there were L.A. riots going on, like, during the filming of this, yet they're glorifying a white man going around. That That's what her point was. The only was. thing that people glorified about this film, there's not a single fucking person who thought that Michael Douglas's character was the right guy at the end. The only thing we've ever talked about, even you and I, we agree that when it comes to prices of some things, it's fucking outrageous. Now, we're not going to go and beat up someone's store to do that or prove that it's bad. We agree that fucking when you go to a fast food restaurant, if it doesn't look like the nice little picture that we see on a thing, again, we're not going to shoot up the place, but we understand the thought process. I've but gotten... He's, he, he's already pushed over... He So, the only thing holding defense together is... The family. His, no, it's his like facade. He that's why remember when they went to see his mother and she's like, Well, where has he been going every day? He gets up Yeah, because she didn't know he was late. Yeah. Off. He gets up, he he has a clean cut haircut, he puts on a tie, he gets his briefcase, he gets in his car. Like it's his facade that is keeping him, you know, stable, but it can only go for so long it's like the shell and it's been broken and then he's so like frustrated and he's like exposed by being obsolete and he's fear f feeling fearful and despair and helpless and then it's it's just normalcy kept him moving knowing that he had a job there may have been the possibility of seeing his daughter, but then when that final thread was pulled, no job, 
his car is breaking down. That was, like, done. Like, the whole fucking shirt fell apart because you pulled that final thread, and he's, like, unhinged at that point because he was being held together by acting like a normal person. He was holding it together, but underneath of it, he really was unhinged, and we saw glimpses of that in his old home movies that he would watch. Mm -hmm. But remember while he's watching that and he hears himself like yelling he kind of cringed a little like oh i shouldn't have yelled at her or whatever so yeah he was having like a a Mm self-realization that he knows like he was starting to understand why she wanted away from him like he could already see it but we can almost interpret that as like maybe your job was pushing you to a brink that was making problems at home with family and that's sometimes happens but then as you said he dealt with the the separation by going to work every day because that's what he was already doing. It was like that was his way of not dealing with the the issues at home. So once that was gone, everything else. Everything just fell. it was just like done. Yeah. And again, we could put this into other people, other jobs. Like I can really see someone who is an you know an Uber Eats driver or a Grubhub driver, and they're like. I got no tip for four days in a row. Now I'm just unhinged because I've I have no money and et cetera, et cetera. Like we have to think about in today's time, I know this is a dated movie, but think about what's happening today and what could happen today, why it's happening, et cetera. Don't judge this as a superficial movie. Think about if this movie came out today and we've rebooted it during COVID times and it was an Uber Eats driver who just got stiff again on a tip. Would you and and let's say it was uh, you know a person of color, would you feel more sympathetic because you're seeing it in today's time? It's a little hard to look back and remember, like, the recession and the savings and loan, um, you know, bubble that happened because it was a big deal back then. It is today, too, but to a different extent. And, you know, you're you're looking at this now 28 years later, like this person is clearly you know a superficial nut job and he's going around just like hurting people flip that to today and think about some low rent job and think about that person I think that losing if, everything I think you just if you took the same movie and put uh, Denzel Washington in that role People like April Wolf would probably look at it far differently than they tried to look at it with Michael Douglas. And but the reality is the situations be the same because even though they're different colors of people, the the content of what's going on is the same. I think in fact I think there was almost a movie not near as bad as this, but Washington played a guy who had a daughter who was in a hospital. I think it was John Q or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, he was going to do anything to make sure she got like a transplant. Or something. I can't remember the, the exact details, but it was, the guy was at his, his limits. And it was about insurance not covering it and all this other stuff. 
So, you know, we can feel sorry for a guy like John Q. You know, dealing with that. But then, like, Michael Douglas' character as defense, you know, we're not supposed to really address that Both at all. equally have their own mental issues because they're driven to, like, Extremes. insanity. Right. And I think for this woman, April, who wrote the more current um, article, if we positioned her, or if we... If we reached out to her and said, what if, and, you know, you look at, you look at defense and he was, you know, a well-paid government contractor. If you flipped it and it was somebody else who might be struggling more, like a warehouse worker, a, a dock worker, whatever, she would be more sympathetic to them because we're thinking of now and what's going on now. Not what happened to so many people back then, regardless of how educated or what kind of job they had. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, uh, we could talk about this, because Anubis and I have been talking about this for two straight days. Yeah. I just want to, like, say, I'm going to get a little, like, again, we're going to smooth this over and put the nostalgic touch on it. The first time I watched this was on home video with my grandfather, and that was kind of, like, one of the reasons this movie was kind of special to me. And, you know, when you're that young, you don't kind of get the full meaning of what's going on, but I swear to God, I remember my grandfather was just like, he just wants to get home. And he understood, he was cab driver, and he kind of, like, got that, like, he got he my grandfather had to like work for fairs and he under you drove a cab for a short amount of time you understood like you had to put your own gas into the cab and then like you had to hand in the money that they gave you and if you got zero tips and you didn't have enough like you would come home sometimes with twenty dollars put that into perspective today I just, I remember my grandfather just was very sad watching this. And it is a sad movie, but hearing that one fucking line when my grandfather was like, he just wants to get home, kind of, it, it hit me that hard that long ago that made me make this my pick of the week and made me want to buy this movie a couple of months ago. So, I'm sorry this was a mini Anubis and Neko rant, and it got so sort of political, and we're not trying to do that, because we like to be like... Oh, I didn't make it political, that other chick did. That bitch did, I just I had know. to set her straight, you know, because that's what I do. Do, do you wanna, want me to email her and be like, listen, bitch, no. you wrote that article... I like to let people who are ignorant just be ignorant. Oh, my God. All right, back into our music. New stuff from Gutricide, Fineria, and here is Convulsive with Island of the Last Zombies.
Horrified from Victoria, B.C. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Stay thrashing.
DJ Anubis here. Getting ready to close out this episode of the Hordes of Chaos. I did have another track initially in there for you. I think I might just put that on the end because it's today's been kind of a weird day, man. Things just not working out as well as I had hoped. Things getting out of order on me. I think I made a mistake of changing stuff around. But um Yeah, what we'll do is I'll just add on to the last track so you get two tracks at the end there for you want to thank you all for tuning in hope you enjoyed the topics uh kevin thanks for the dedication to NECA. i'll get your other uh uh song in there next week <clears throat> as well as any others down the road of course uh check us out on youtube we've got some new content out there a couple i did a couple of things with uh top five shark movies and we had like a couple things on some uh, rock stuff as well as some swag and uh, new items we got in the mail and whatnot. So check it out. Uh, new website should be done soon. So I'll let you uh, know that as well when that's ready to go. And uh, got a couple tracks for you. One is the Moongate's Guarding, which is supposed to happen after Kulak. But uh, I'll throw it on the end of Pyrocanda here, which is some classic material from the 90s, I believe. It's called Top Gun. Uh, two tracks for you, so stick around. See y'all next time. Peace out.
Let's go.